Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Fourteen pitch, driven to right center field. That was one of the biggest moments. Let me rephrase. That was the single biggest moment of the game yesterday with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. that audio courtesy of Fox sports Cardinals lose. And what was a tough one for him yesterday? We'll get into what was potentially the biggest loss of the day though. And it was not the game lose that one nine to four against the Dodgers. I wanted to hear that highlight from Chris Taylor's at bat Alex, because for me, I thought Chris Taylor and what he symbolized within the Dodgers lineup was the difference yesterday between the Cardinals and the Dodgers. Chris Taylor bats seventh for the Dodgers. He is the guy that is their version of Tommy Edmond. He can play all over the infield. He can play in the out. He can play center field. He can play. He can play anywhere, basically. And he's a really good hitter, a guy that comes to the plate and is a threat every time he's there. If the Cardinals brought back Colton Wong, Chris Taylor is what Tommy Edmond would be for the Cardinals. Of course, the Cardinals didn't bring back Colton Wong. And so instead, Tommy Edmond is a fixture at second base. That's not a problem for them. It's just signifying the difference between these two teams. The Dodgers have depth in their lineup that the Cardinals don't have, especially right now with all of their injuries. When they get healthy, maybe they get a little bit closer. But for me, when you're looking at the lineups, I thought coming into the season, the issue would be, Cardinals just don't have the one through four that the the Dodgers do. They're closer than I think a lot of people would expect. It's the depth that's the difference. Yeah, no question. And I mean, if you look through five through eight right now for the Dodgers and compare it to a five through eight healthy for the Cardinals, like put Harrison Bader in there. Put Paul DeYoung in there if you'd like. You have Edmundo Sosa, though, who I think would probably play. I'll pass. Keep Sosa in. I, I mean, look, Lux and Taylor are the difference makers in that one. But we've seen both last night. Yeah, but we've seen when a Tyler O'Neill is on who look, those guys were on last night, but they can be fluky when Tyler O'Neill's on. I'd put him probably right up there with a Gavin Lux. And I mean, look, if Harrison Bader's on, he's not anywhere near Chris Taylor, but at least he's effective. So I think your five through eight is with them, but you're right. The depth is the difference because this lineup right here, their bench is 
significantly better than the Cardinals bench. And by the way, let's not forget Corey Seager's on the injured list right now as well. So you can bump all of those guys that you were just thinking about down one more spot. Yeah, McKinstry's not even playing in this game. Yeah, it would be Gavin Lux at second base, probably batting seventh or eighth. And now you've got Chris Taylor as your eight hole hitter. Like that, that is the difference is the depth between these two teams. And it's not just the lineup. It's also the bullpen. If you look at what the Dodgers are throwing out there on a consistent basis, it's just better than what the Cardinals have after their top three Cardinals top three, top two in particular, I'll put up against anybody top three. I'll put up against most teams. The Cardinals last night felt really good about where they were at when Jack Flaherty was in, it was in the game. It was when he left that it became an issue. They were up three to two when he left with his injury. The bullpen then allows th- seven runs over the next three innings. And Mike Schiltz was asked after the game about his bullpen's performance so far this season. Here's what I'll say. The bullpen doesn't get enough credit when we bring it home in, in the fifth and sixth innings. You know, we do that. We've done that a lot this year. And when we don't, it's like the bullpen, the bullpen, the bullpen. I, we get it. They get it. But maybe I should do a better job over the last couple of weeks when we've played a lot of good baseball, won a lot of baseball games. Maybe I shouldn't be more emphatic about just how great a job the bullpen did to, you know, come in and get out of the... I mean, look at the Arizona series. You know, we won three games, and we didn't have a starter get past, the, you know, and out in the sixth inning. Who do you, who do you think brought that home? Okay, I need somebody to explain this to me. <laughs> because <laughs> is he trying to say that the fifth and sixth inning from the bullpen doesn't get enough credit for how good they are? C- correct. Well, that's fine, but I... I and maybe I'm the crazy one, but I personally thought the bullpen's job was the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. And sometimes fifth and sixth. The problem is like, I hear you, and God bless you, Mike Schilt. I'm just going to have to disagree with you on this one. Cardinals yeah. bullpen wasn't good against Arizona. And, no. And they re- they, they know. won the games because <laughs> their offense ended up scoring and coming through in the 10th inning against the Diamondbacks on Friday, on Thursday. And then you put up eight runs and seven runs. When your offense didn't score on Sunday, that's when it became an issue for you. So over the weekend, Alex, the Cardinals bullpen faced 77 hitters. They allowed 21 hits, 11 walks, two intentional walks. They hit one guy by a pitch and they allowed 15 earned runs. Am I supposed to say that that's a good thing? Well, but you got to give them credit what they did in the fifth and sixth inning, though, right? So the Cardinals bullpen is an issue right now. It was once again a problem last year. And, and look, I just looked this up because I'm thinking, okay, well, how many losses does the bullpen have? And surprisingly, they only have six losses this season and 10 wins. Kind of surprising to me. It, it actually doesn't surprise me because they do blow up when they're only down one usually. The ERA, though. that I mean, oh, you got a bad. 4.39 ERA right now in 181. Woof. I, I, I mean, like, that's 12th worst in the National Hockey League. Like, the teams above them. Major League Baseball, of course. Okay, sorry. Hockey Similar on the, the brain. NHL. Watched hockey last night. <laughs> hockey on the brain. The teams above them, Baltimore, Milwaukee, Houston, Atlanta, Minnesota, Philly, Arizona, the Angels, Detroit, Cincinnati, Colorado. I mean, I think five of those 11 teams are playoff teams. Yeah. So, like, you can't give. Yes, there are times where the bullpen is lights out. And we're sitting here, T-Bone's hoping to add 15 more players to the I, I circle of trust. Yeah. But nine times out of ten, when it's a close one, the bullpen seems to lose it for the Cardinals. By the way, Elledge for Circle of Trust? No, shut up. No. Just night? shut up, Tanner. No, we're, we've had enough of that. Now I'm getting aggressive. Shut up. The bullpen is a problem right now, and the depth as a whole with the pitching staff is a problem right now. Some of that is injuries. Some of that is guys not living up to their performance. Last night, Ryan Helsley, not his best night. Woof. 
Um, we've seen that a few times in the past. Daniel Ponce de Leon, really good performance for a couple of games in a row. And then last night didn't look quite as good. Genesis Cabrera, Ooh. when he's on, looks like one of the best pitchers that you could possibly have as a sixth or seventh inning reliever. It's when he tries to go off on his own and not listen to Yachty behind the plate. That when he's crossing up Yachty twice in a single inning and nearly getting Yachty killed, that's when he is a problem for you. And last night it was the last. I saw your, your, your stat in the notes last night. And I want you to talk about it because Danny Mac said it on the broadcast slide last night about walking the bases loaded. Like if you're going to be Mike Schilt and try and defend the bullpen, this stat BK can't be a thing. So the Cardinals have now walked a batter with the bases loaded 15 times this season, meaning they walk in a run. They've done that 15 times so far this year. The only Cardinal team in team history to walk in more runs over the course of an entire season was 1974. They did it 17 times that year. Again, they've already done this 15 times so far so in 2021. Franchise history. We're a third of the way through the season. Woof. And they are two bases loaded walks away from tying the franchise record for a single season. The Cardinals right now lead the league in walks. They are tied for the league league and hit by pitches. They are second with 36 wild pitches on the year. Their arms, their pitchers, whether it be starters or relievers, but especially in the bullpen right now, have no command over what they're throwing. And it's been a problem since day one this season, and it continues to be a problem today. I do feel bad for Schilt and Maddox, though. Absolutely. And I mean, as much as people sit here and say that they're sick of Mike Schilt trying to give people credit, there's nothing else that they can do. Like, they're telling the pitchers to throw strikes. Like, you're telling them what they need to hear. They're just not doing it. So as much as we want to sit here and say, oh, well, this is Mike Shelter, Mike Maddox. No, it might just be the pitchers right now. And I think that's to the point. Plus, these guys, these guys have to be broken, right? Like, some of these guys, like, have to have their arms dangling right now for how many times they've pitched this far into the, or this early on in the season. Referring to Webb there. It reminds yeah, me in some ways of weapon. what we used to talk about with Jeff Albert, right? Hey, is Jeff Albert going to turn Harrison Bader into one of the best hitters in baseball? No, he did. Oh. no, it's not going to happen. Can he become an average major league hitter? Sure. But that guy should never be batting like sixth in your lineup. And I, you guys know, I love Harrison Bader. He's an eight hole hitter and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being you call him? the eighth best hitter on your oh, roster. Okay. Sorry. I thought you were calling him names. I'm like, I, I thought he said a hole. Yeah. Why would you be mean to him like that? You don't expect your coach to turn that guy into something that he's not. It's the same thing for me with Mike Maddox and Mike Schiltz with this bullpen right now. They're just, it's a collection of arms that don't throw very many strikes. What did our boy Coop say? I mean, as soon as we asked him about the bullpen, he's like, well, I don't know. It's your freaking job description. Yeah. First of all, he just kept saying how he doesn't know anybody in that bullpen, which we appreciate that. But then the follow-up when we said, well, Mike Maddox is a pitching coach. Well, you guys got a hell of a pitching coach, so it might just be the guys. Yeah. That might be where the point we're at. The thing for me, too, is it'd be one thing if we were hearing the Cardinals say, well, so-and-so is falling off, and then it just they're having trouble fixing it. Maybe Maddox hasn't helped them with that. We're not hearing that. This is clearly on the pitchers just having to throw strikes. They got to get better at it. And one thing that's not going to help their situation is Jack Flaherty. They spoke after the game last night about why he was taken out of this game. He was only at like 80 some odd pitches through five innings. He looks great. Nine strikeouts looked like he was really finding his groove and then leaves after hitting in the bottom in that bottom of the inning. Here's Mike Schiltz on why he left the game. I think he felt it a little bit towards the end of the inning. 
but nothing significant. Um, and then felt something during his at bat that you know caused a little more concern for him and left side tightness. And we'll get more evaluation tomorrow. And uh, clearly, we're hopeful that nothing too serious. Obviously, him bothering tonight and impacted him coming out of the game. That phrase. When hopefully the Cardinals say, too serious. <laughs> when the Cardinals say, hopefully it's nothing serious, haunts my dreams. So the nice thing, and I, this does give me a little bit of confidence with the situation, just kind of reading between the lines. Jack Flaherty was available for interviews last night after the game. Sometimes when there is a serious injury, you don't expect that to be the case. So fingers crossed that that tells us a little something. Here's what Jack Flaherty said on if he's dealt with something similar to this before. I don't ever leave games. I don't ever come out of games. It was just something that just wanted to check on. Okay, Flaherty, uh, what did you feel then? How serious was this? Uh, I'm not going to gauge the severity of it. I felt a little tightness. and Like Craig Drew? You know, I was more just wanted to felt upper body. Should check it out more than anything. <laughs> Yeah, just, just want to get That's true. Out. At least we didn't get the... So what happened there? Upper body injury. He's out for we don't know how long. Okay. I mean, that's pretty much what we got. We got a little <laughs> bit more specific. It's a, it's we a know side. It's the side. Yeah. I don't know if that means oblique, rib. Like, we're not matter. really sure where at in his side. Maybe it's his glute. I'm not sure, but it's somewhere on his side body, and they think it's nothing too serious. Could be turf toe like Andrew Miller, right? That's a side. No, do no, not compare injury. this to anything like Andrew Miller. Okay, you just don't know. But I will say this. What gives me hope, because I'm the optimistic guy of the group, all of you guys are very glass half empty, it's Jack Flaherty, right? Like, Jack Flaherty, who we know gets so angry when things aren't going his way, he's a battler. And I would imagine if this is something that he felt like he could go through, he'd he'd fight through it. But because he's being cautious, because it's the early portion of the season still, he pulls himself out of the game. You hope that it's only one missed start. And my optimism is that Jack knows his body better than any of us. So he's saying, let's do this. If I miss one start, oh, well, but I need to be healthy. They need him back because this rotation is already kind of on fumes. He's the only guy right now that I expect six quality innings and a quality start. So six innings or more, three earned runs or fewer every time he goes out there. Yeah. I love Adam Wainwright, and when he's on, it's been complete game, one earned run. When he's off so far this year, though, it's been more four or five innings, giving up three or four runs in those. So outside of that, I mean, Carlos is up and down. KK hasn't gone six innings so far this year. You got two guys right now in your rotation that I feel comfortable when they take the mound. Don't say it. Jack and Carlos? No, I'm I'm, I'm taking Jack out of this situation because he's hurt. Carlos and John Gant. Oh, John Gant. Yeah, well, by I don't feel way, comfortable about him going deep, though. By the way, and no, John, John Gant today, we're not going to see Houdini. We'll talk about that a little later on today. There's there's a lot more we've got to get into throughout the day. That, um, we're, we're just gonna, getting started, boys. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about Miles Michaelis. There was some news from him over this extended weekend. We are going to talk about something that I saw about Albert Pujols that I think should make Cardinals fans excited. What? There's a lot to get into. It's 1118. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, though, there was something positive that came out of the weekend. Tyler O'Neill is awesome now. The hell are we supposed to make of this? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The 1-1, O'Neal, fly ball, left field, 
Trek wall gone. O'Neal again left center. Goodbye. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Are you buying in on what we're seeing right now from Tyler O'Neill? Because I know, and I'll punch you. It's been super impressive over the last five games, four home runs, three doubles. He also, by the way, in those five games has 10 walks in 10 strikeouts, rather and zero walks in 22 at bats. Guys, we're seeing the power. He is as fast as anybody in the sport. In terms of a player profile, you couldn't ask for a much more intriguing uh, attributes as a player. The guy has most everything that you could want other than the strikeout issues and the walk issues. Alex, are you willing to buy in on what we're watching right now from Tyler O'Neill? What if I were to tell both of you guys that this season, Tyler O'Neill has the same amount of home runs that he had in 2019 and 2020? Combined? Combined. What if I told you that he has the best batting average and slash line in his career? I mean, you'd be ecstatic about that at the beginning Absolutely. of the season. Now, look, he's had injuries twice. He's been out for uh, for some time. He's only played 35 games, but he is giving you exactly what you wanted out of Tyler O'Neill. He is giving you power. He is giving you a legitimate threat for a home run in the middle of your batting order. This is what we've all been hoping for with Tyler O'Neill. We all knew that the strikeouts were going to come. You said it at the beginning of the season, BK. It's probably going to be a Randall Gritchick effect where it's going to be home run or bust. And for me, that's fine because I think that's the player you were looking for on the market. Now, people will say, well, we want a Trey Mancini or we want some guy who's an everyday outfielder. Well, Dylan Carlson's that guy. The way I look at it is you have three outfielders right now. Win healthy. You have the gold glove defender, which I guess you can make the case for Tyler O'Neill, but the gold glove defender in Harrison Bader. You have the all-around 5-2 player in Dylan Carlson, and you have the home run threat in Tyler O'Neill. That is an ideal outfield, in my opinion. So I'm buying into Tyler O'Neill because he's giving us exactly what we were hoping for. That's the thing is I've seen so many texts about Trey Mancini on the text line at this point that I'm I'm wondering, like, is his agent listening to our show? What's going on here? Because it, it's kind of amazing the way that people have started to um, latch on to him in particular as a trade candidate. Guys, you have Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini's name is Tyler O'Neill, and he plays for the Cardinals. He's cheap. He's young. He's fast. He plays good defense. Like, this is the guy that we've been waiting for. Now, can he sustain this? The answer is no. He's not going to be able to play up to this level throughout the entirety of the season. He's going to go on hot spells. He's going to go on cold spells. That's how Tyler O'Neill is as a player. But in 35 games, he has 12 home runs. You don't have to be a mathematician. Like, if you looked at that over 162... That's 50-plus homers over the course of the season if he played at this level. Again, he can't sustain this because nobody can. But this is the guy that the Cardinals hoped that they acquired. When they traded for him from the uh, Seattle Mariners, this is what they were looking at. There were some rumors that when they decided not to go after Bryce Harper a few years ago, they looked at it as, well, We've got a guy that we really like in left field, so why would we go spend $300 million when we've got a guy that we really love? That guy was Tyler O'Neill. Well, what if, I'm curious, the Cardinals were right about their outfield? What if they chose the correct three players? Because Harrison Bader, for all of his faults, and I get it, he's just never going to be a guy that people fall in love with. That's fine. The majority of the audience, at least. He is a 
great defender in center field. And he does make things fall into place out there defensively. Does he have his faults as a hitter? Absolutely. But he's a really good defender who you can win with in center field as an eight-hole hitter. Tyler O'Neill, when he's playing like this, looks the part of a six or seven-hole hitter in a championship lineup. Dylan Carlson has been fantastic so far this year. Guys, what if they were right? What if it, it it went a roundabout way? It took longer than expected. And did they miss on Randy Arozarena? Maybe. Did they cut bait a little early with Adolis Garcia? Potentially. But I'd take this version of Tyler O'Neill over Randall Gritchick. I'd take the guy that they have in right field and Dylan Carlson over Steven Piscotty. I don't think there's a whole lot of other options out there right now that I would take over their current outfield. I didn't think I would be saying that two weeks ago, but right now in the moment, if I'm going to allow myself to get lost in this a little bit, maybe they were right all along. Well, we gave him a nickname, the Canadian Hulkster for a reason, boys. We expected this at some point with him. Now the text line brings up a great question. And part of me is curious, your thoughts on this. What if the more at bats Tyler O'Neill sees the better he gets with this at bat approach in terms of walks than strikeouts. And if you look at it, I mean, he'll get better than 2% of his plate appearances ending in a walk, but I think this is, he's just not a guy that's going to walk. But the most he's played the many, the most at bats he's had in a major league baseball season is 141. And that was 2019 where he played 60 games. I I mean, look, I, I understand again, he's injury plagued. So hopefully that doesn't hurt him, but this could be the first year that he sees more than 200 at bats. And if you look at that 2019 season, his strikeouts, yes, it was 53, but I mean, with 10 walks and then the next season where he saw pretty much the same at bats, it was 15 walks to 43 strikeouts. The problem is last year, what he did is he traded the walks for the power. He didn't have the same power last yeah, year, but that's baseball right now. No, no, I understand. But what I'm saying is he didn't have any power. He he lost all of the power because he was focusing so much on taking a really good plate approach and he ended up walking a decent mm-hmm. amount. Well, that's great, but your walk rate went up and now you don't have the one attribute that we actually want out of you. So if I can, if I have to trade the walks, if he's just not going to walk a lot and what I get in return is you're a 35 plus Homer player. Yeah. I'll take that trade any day of the week. I would rather him hit homers than get on base at a walk. I'm with you because I've talked about it, you know, slugging slug, slug, slug. That's the thing in baseball now. And as a five or six hole hitter, I guess when you're six, I guess, because yeah, Yeah. you would be fifth. To me, a six-hole hitter that doesn't walk but has that 30 home run power, that's the best thing you can ask for for a six-hole hitter. Maybe you would like a little bit more walks, but even if he doesn't, let's say his rate stays at 2% and he gives me 30 home runs, I don't care. I'll take that every day of the week. Again, he's got 12 home runs this season. It's Combined 1920, he had 12 home runs. You get nine more home runs, he's got the most in a season than he has in his last three years of Major League Baseball combined. Are you guys willing to entertain the possibility that the Cardinals were right? Yeah, I, I know this is super reactionary because we're coming off of what is literally the best stretch of Tyler O'Neill's career over the last five games. He's never played better than he has over the last play up to this again. But if we allow ourselves to kind of get lost in this moment, are you willing to entertain that? I, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying that they were right, because I mean, John Mosaic has the yips with trades for a reason. Like, and I think we all would agree, like Randy Arozarena, Adolis Garcia would be great in this lineup. But I do think the Cardinals made a right move by keeping Tyler O'Neill and giving him the shot because I do think he's there. But I guess I want to see a little bit more from Tyler O'Neill before I go as far That's as fair. saying they were right in moving on from Garcia and from a Rosarena. I'm with you. I just want to see more because, like we've talked about, he's so streaky. He could go really cold and never regain. Again, he's not going to get to this level, as you mentioned, BK, but he may go cold and maybe never regain just his average 
uh, ability at the plate. And the injuries are a big thing for me, too. And I get it. The Cardinals can't see that coming. But if he and Bader fail to stay healthy and stay on the field, then that's a concern for me. For what it's worth, if you want to look head-to-head between Tyler O'Neill and Randy Rosarena this season, what they've both done this year, uh, Randy Rosarena has played much more. He's played in 51 games, whereas Tyler O'Neill's played in 35 so far. So he, it's tough comparison from that perspective. But Tyler O'Neill has been more productive at the plate, and he is a better defender than Randy oh, Rosarena. Yeah. This year, 100%. So if you look for it one for one this season, it has been a lot closer than certainly I expected it to be. I do think by the end of this year, I think we will be saying that the Cardinals were right, though, because I think this is trending in the right direction rather than just a fluke of Tyler O'Neill. Let me ask you this. Would you trade Tyler O'Neill straight up today for uh, Randy Rosarena? I wouldn't. No. If the Rays called you and said, we will trade you Randy Rosarena straight up for Tyler O'Neill. All of the contracts going back and forth, Would you, you You guys would not make that deal. I wouldn't because I kind of thought the postseason was just a flash in the pan and I wanted to see more from him, even though it was Babe Ruth-esque in the postseason. He's been good this year. He's been good, but he's still very young and he still has time to grow. We've kind of seen O'Neal. He's taking these steps. We've been able to see the trajectory of O'Neal, and that's what we're doing now. Is we're kind of trying to project what his future will be. Rosarena still has a lot of develop, developing to do. So just based on O'Neal having more experience and what I've seen this year, I would keep O'Neal. I'd keep O'Neal too because this team runs off of pitching and defense and Tyler O'Neal's a better defender than a Rosarena. Do you guys know they're the same age? Same age, Tyler O'Neal right? and Randy Rosarena. They're both 26 years old. It's interesting. It's certainly interesting. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. By the way, I think I would stick with Tyler O'Neill. I would give it more thought than either of you two seemed to, though. Wow, this Whoa. guy comes on and talks about how great he <laughs> we is. We just spent nine and a half minutes talking about how we the Cardinals were right all along, and then you just ended this segment by saying, I think I'd probably consider it. I would consider it. Now, again, this is the best we're going to see of Tyler O'Neill. What are we doing here? It's what been are we great. doing here? It's been great, but Randy Rosarena, he's a fun player. What are we doing? Coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford's going to join the show. What does he make of the Vegas Golden Knights having a lot of struggles with the Colorado Avalanche over the weekend? Does that make you feel a little better about the Blues performance in that series? We'll ask JR next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford. JR, how you doing, man? Doing well, boys. How you guys doing? Doing all right. So I wanted to start by asking you about the game we saw over the weekend between the Avs and the Golden Knights. Colorado won that one 7-1 to one in Game 1. That was a weird game. There was a ton of penalties. The Avs got a really long power play at the in the third period, but they won that game seven to one. Does that give any solace to Blues fans if this trend continues and the Avs make quick work of the Golden Knights? Yeah, I did see some reaction from Blues fans. I think on social media saying, "Okay, well maybe it wasn't that bad." Hmm. <laughs> but, uh, and in fact, I switched my uh, my votes uh, for the Athletic. We put together a staff. Uh, voting on uh, who's going to win the Stanley Cup and who's going to win the Conn Smythe. And not just based on one game, but just what we saw from Colorado in that blue series and then what we saw also in game one is I think it's Colorado, guys. I think they they play uh, really well. That game, just magical, the way they move the puck. Cal McCarr, 
I, I voted him number one uh, for the Norris Trophy, and, and you know that's not even talking about Nathan McKinnon what he can do. So I like Colorado uh, in that series, and I like uh, I put Nathan McKinnon down for the con Smythe. I like these guys that much. Jer, what's worse, Blues losing in four to the Colorado Avalanche, or being the Toronto Maple Leafs where you're up three one against Montreal mm. and then losing the next three? Well, considering the Blues just won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago, I think it's a lot worse to be a fan in Toronto these days. And guys, I mean, just you look at the blown 3-1 series lead and not show up in Game 7, uh, that's just brutal. But then when you start to think 1967, you know, last time these guys ever hoisted anything, and, and, and you go uh, up to Toronto and you sit in the lower bowl and uh, for the morning skate, you can just feel it in that building. Just it, 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 It's hockey. You show up for the game. You know, the city, everything's a buzz all day long on game day. Like, I can't stress enough how much they live and breathe hockey and to even think about some of the things they've gone through. And that's somebody who's watched uh, what the Blues fans have gone through for 52 years before winning the Cup. So I would say that's definitely the worst bet there. So, Jared, the reason I brought up Toronto is because I'm watching that and I'm thinking, like, if you're if – you're... Their general manager, and you're looking at that team that just continues to lose. You got a ton of money tied up in all of these players. I mean, they might be looking at changing some things up. So, and of course, the car, the Blues are in need of a top left winger. Do you <laughs> see Toronto? I'm, I'm trying to go like tinfoil Ferrari here on you, Jr. Do you see Toronto possibly looking at a Mitch Marner or a William Nylander and saying, "Look, we got to move on from one of these contracts because there's other areas that are affected." Well, you're right, and that's been the conversation for a couple of years, Alex, is, you know, how can they win with three or four guys making up 50% of their payroll, if, if not more? And, you know, when you get into a series and a couple of the guys don't produce, like Matthews and like Marner in this series, it, it takes away from your entire team. And I think we saw in the Blues Cup run, and it's, you know, stating the obvious here, but just how everybody came together, how everybody played a part. So much talk about that fourth line. So much talk about Pareko and Bomeister, the shutdown pair, Bennington coming out of nowhere. That's what it really does take. And so while I look at the, the Toronto blueprint and see what they're thinking with that skill with some of those guys, it just hasn't worked. And I think they are at a crossroads in terms of they're going to have to do something to to break that up. I don't know what they're going to do. And if one of those guys becomes available, yeah, sure, you'd have to be interested. But, I mean, we're talking $10 million plus on, on all those contracts. So just like with Jack Eichel, you know, Army would have to pull out the magic wand again. What about Nylander? 25 years old? $7 million per season? I just peaked BK's interest, my interest here. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. And to me, honestly, uh, I like Nylander. And I think uh, the Blues have been involved in talks with Toronto about Nylander in the past. And, you know, it just hasn't uh, worked out. But to me, if I'm Toronto and he's one of the cheaper guys who, who produces and plays well, that's one of the guys I'm keeping. So I can't imagine. Maybe it comes comes down to a situation where, you know, Toronto can't move those big guys and they have to move somebody. I guess at that point you could have that discussion. But to me, if I'm the Maple Leafs, that's the guy I'm keeping. JR, um, all of the Blues offseason talk is going to start at least with what is the future for Vladimir Tarasenko? He's $7.5 million over the next couple of years. You've got the expansion draft coming up. Uh, there are questions from a lot of Blues fans. We see them every day on the text line, and I know you've heard them in your mailbags that you do over at The Athletic as well. Uh, what, what do you think the future holds for Vladdy Tarasenko? And do you agree that that's the first question that kind of has to be answered before we start diving into what other moves the Blues could make? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a ton of questions with the Blues. I think Army's going to have his hands full trying to do something with this roster uh, this year, and we'll see uh, in a couple months what all that entails. But I do think 
that Tarasenko has to be in that conversation. Look, he's $7.5 million. He's got two more years left on his deal. Is he going to be able to score you even 25 goals a season at this point after the three surgeries? You know, perhaps he, he, he will. You know, the, the question I have is, would there be interest around the league in Vladimir Tarasenko? Perhaps the Blues would have to retain some salary. To me, you know what it comes down to? We, we always talk about Blues hockey, and, and obviously Blues hockey, you have to have goal scorers. So you need a Vladimir Tarasenko. But, you know, if, if you keep putting them out there and, you know, I don't want to say going through the motions, but just isn't as engaged as you need them to be, I think it drags down the other guys on the ice watching them play. They want them to be more a part of that thing. And and so I do think that Doug Armstrong is definitely aware of that situation. I'm sure he's, you know, calling around the league and just feeling things out. Does it mean they're going to trade Tarasenko? No. You know, I, I if I had to lay a bet, I think he finishes the last two years of his contract, you know, in St. Louis before we'd see anything happen. I just think that when you assess this team and you try to figure out how you can improve it, he has to be, and the possibility of doing something with him has to be part of the conversation. JR, we have talked a lot about over these last few days, uh, the top priority for Doug Armstrong this offseason is finding a left winger to play on the top line with O'Reilly and Perron. Uh, I had a list of guys yesterday, or last week that kind of piqued my interest. Uh, is there a guy or a, n- a couple of names that maybe have piqued your interest for that open spot that Doug Armstrong's looking at, or are you thinking more internally? Gabriel Landeskog. That's his name, JR. Gabriel Landeskog. <laughs> Landeskog is the name. name. You know, that that would be absolutely perfect. I just can't see Landeskog putting in all that time in Colorado, you know, the captain at, what, 18 years old. And, you know, finally, after years of building that thing, they're finally there. So you, you know that he's become UFA, but, you know, those things usually get worked out. Unless I thought the same thing Alex with – I was about to say, I thought the same thing with Petro last year. Yeah, so – you know, yeah, if he becomes available and, and you got his ear, then that definitely has to be a situation. Alex, you know, to me, we talk about left wing, and I've written a lot about it the past couple of weeks, is, is Schwartz coming back. And if he's not, it's almost like you need two of those types of guys. Yeah, you're not, not wrong. Yeah, not two Landeskogs, but two guys who can come in and produce. And, and the biggest thing is, hey, whatever side of the fence you are on, on Jaden Schwartz, I don't even think the people who want to bring Jaden Schwartz back are saying that you can count on 20, 25 goals from him. You know, the offense just hasn't been there. So to me, even if you sign Jaden Schwartz, re-sign him, I think you're going to have to bring somebody else in who can produce. We've seen that there just isn't anybody in the system. You know, it's not Zach Sanford. It's not Sammy Blay. You can put Barbashev up there in a pinch, but these are just stopgap measures. O'Reilly and Perron, you can't say enough how much they would benefit from having a guy up there uh, who took away, uh, you know, the attention of the other team and, and gave them some time and space. So I think they're going to have to look in uh, for agency. From a position of weakness to a position of strength, Jr. I want to ask you about the centers because you put out your projected lineups, or at least the guys that are under contract for next season. And under the center column, you had Braden Shin. Is it time we just assume going into next year, Braden Shin is a center for the Blues and Robert Thomas for the for the here and now at least will fill in as that third line center? Yeah, I suppose, but I kind of go into every season thinking that, and then hmm. at some point they got to move Braden Shin over to the left side, and it is what it is. I mean, it's not like it was 15, 20 years ago. These guys were your wingers. These guys were your centers. It's it's so you know versatile. They move these guys, so I get it, and it all depends also on Robert Thomas and his development. Look, they gave him a top six spot in training camp this year. And if he takes it and runs with it and he's getting three shots a game and, you know, maybe he gets you 12 goals and any, you know, the passes that we've seen, the, the, uh, you know, that, that part of his game is there too. 
you know, they're not considering Braden Shen at center. They just say, hey, look, we're getting that production from O'Reilly and Thomas up the middle. We can play Braden Shen on the left side, but it just hasn't been there from Thomas. And I think this Blues team right now, before Thomas kind of breaks out, is better with Braden Shen at center. So that's why I listen to him there on that depth chart. Finally, someone can justify my Hall & Oates reference at the beginning of the season, <laughs> Thomas getting the top six role. That's why I went there, guys. Okay, JR just said it. It, it should have been, and it just didn't work out. Okay, yeah, that that's what it was. Last thing for you, JR, before we yeah. get you out of here. Um, I know you were asked about this in your mailbag. I wanted to get your answer on the air as well. How far away are the Blues from the Golden Knights and the Avs? And do you, in your opinion... Can they close that gap in one off season? I don't think so. You know, how, how far are they from them? I think quite a bit. And to be honest with you, putting together that depth chart was a little alarming because you see that there are a lot of holes. And while you like this team, you like the core, you think that they can compete. I, I, you know, I, I'm not saying that this is a you know, second-to-last-place team in the Central Division when we go back to the Central you know, I do think that uh, there are ways away. And now people say, hey, what about all the one-goal games against Colorado and, you know, played Vegas tough at times? That's the regular season. We saw the Colorado Avalanche, what they're capable of in the playoffs. Granted, you didn't have David Prime. Granted, you were, you know, banged up. But that's that's Colorado, and that's what you're going to be dealing with trying to get out of the West for the next couple of years. So, uh, to me, major tweaking, retooling, adding a significant player, However you want to phrase it, you know, I just think they're a couple notches below those teams, and I don't know that you can get there in one offseason. JR, I forgot. I got one other thing oh, for you. I read on. this from Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts columns. He said, a few sources indicate that revenue numbers this year are expected to be around the $2 billion range, and when you factor in the money owed to the players by the league, teams are estimating that the cap will stay static for several years. Most sources suggested to him that it would be through the 2024-2024 five season that's another four years down the road that it would be a flat cap how does that impact the building this offseason for uh doug armstrong well i think everybody's uh anticipating that you know obviously it's not news i think even though the media reports for the past year or so have been you know flat cap for another year like if you listen to doug armstrong maybe you know other words and sentences catch our uh, attention but he says in everything he discusses about the cap that we could see 81.5 for two three four years i've even heard the ownership mention it could be as much as four or five years so you know does that play a little bit of a role yeah i think but you have you know guys gunnerson coming off the books uh steen will come off the books uh, you don't know what will happen with Jaden schwartz mike hoffman will come off the books and and to be honest i put so much attention um to the cap and how are they going to do this but you know doug can just move players mm-hmm. you, you can do that you move players and all of a sudden the cap isn't as big of a concern as you thought it was but saying that you got to be creative and, and that's one thing he's been really good at Jared, we always appreciate the time man we'll be reading your work over at the athletic we'll be following you on twitter as well at jp rutherford all the best and we'll talk to you again soon my friend yep thanks guys absolutely that's jeremy rutherford joining us here on 101 espn i get it i hear what jr is saying there i do think that it is something that is going to have to be considered for the blues because my guess is part of the thought process between or behind the moves that Army made over the last few years was, hey, the cap's going to continue rising because that was the expectation from everybody. The cap will continue rising, and at the back end of some of these deals that we've signed, it won't be quite as burdensome as it feels like it will be right now. And if the cap continues to stay flat, 
That will not be the case. It'll continue being the same percentage of the cap in four years from now as it is today. And that that's where some concerns could potentially come in, where you've got these guys that are 35, 36 years old making the same money that they are today. That could get a little dicey. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's get to some questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Comfort service text line for questions and answers. I like this one from the 618. Guys, one through six, how would you rank the Cardinals' current starters? So based on their staff as is currently constructed, you had to put a number next to everybody's name, basically, like the number one starter, number two, and so on and so forth. Pitching, right? Pitching, correct. How would you rank their starters today? Assuming everyone's ha- oh, as of today. Yeah. So let's assume that Jack Flaherty's okay. fine. Okay. So Flaherty, obviously, I don't know who your sixth starter is. Flaherty, number one. Carlos would be two. Is this Homer Road? <laughs> you got to take that into account. I'm putting Gant three. I'll put Wayno four and KK five. And then I don't care. Throw Oviedo six. He has not been impressive to me. So that, that would be mine. Yeah, I'd see. I'd go Flaherty one, C-Mart two. I, I think I would go Wayno three, I Gant four. And KK then and then Oviedo. Five, okay. Yeah, and Oviedo. Yeah. God, I remember how high you two were on Oviedo thinking, oh, this guy's going to be the next big thing. Yeah. Hey, it was just the. And then John Gant just keeps going out there and hurling zeros. Hey, it was just hey, the classic... I've already admitted that I was wrong on this. No, I'm, I'm just waiting for Tanner to do it. No, if he does well tonight, then I will. He's better than Johan Oviedo right now as a big league starter. Well, that's because he's, we TKO'd him and BKO'd him. He's better than KK also as a big league starter. KK has some concerns. There's some really concerning trends with KK this year. Those bugs on the mound that keep getting in his eyes. Well, his his first time through the order, he's tremendous. Sounds like a bullpen pitcher to me. The problem is he goes through the order more than once as a starter. Second time through, opponents are hitting 290 against him. Third time through, they're not only hitting 290, but they're slugging 625. Opposing hitters essentially become Tyler O'Neill over this last five-game stretch against KK. His last, his last uh, sounds like a few times through. Sounds like a bullpen pitcher. It does. The pro, but last year we saw that, and he wasn't comfortable as a bullpen arm. So I don't know what you do there. Yeah. And they also don't have any depth. There's nobody knocking on the door right now, screaming, "I need to be in the rotation," and KK should be taken out. You know? No, you're so right. It, Especially it, with tough. the injuries, you have to have them. But when healthy. I think he's a bullpen pitcher, but who knows if it's going to be when healthy. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. On a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you currently about the Cardinals' bullpen? 10 meaning blow it up. Yeah, 10 meaning everything's over. This is the Detroit Tigers' bullpen from the early 2010s when they couldn't win a World Series despite having the best offense in baseball. And a fantastic starting rotation because of how bad their bullpen was. Um, put it at a five. I'm kind of one foot in, one foot out right now. As bad as it is to get to the last two guys or the last three guys. I mean, Hennessy's yesterday, that was kind of an anomaly to me. The dude is still lethal. So I'm comfortable with three guys. It's getting to those three guys. So I'd put it at about a five. I think I'm at a seven. I'm very concerned about this bullpen and especially going through a regular season. I get what you guys have said, you know, get to the playoffs, you get six innings, even five. You can survive with those three. There is a troubling trend, though, with Cabrera. Cabrera struggles with getting inherited runners out. And even though his ERA is low, 
he benefits. He's kind of like the John Gant of the Cardinals bullpen, in my opinion. He always cut his ERA is low, but if you look at some of the underlying numbers, they're not great. 10 of 20 inherited runners have scored off of Hennessy Cabrera. And it feels like of late, he's kind of had struggles with his command and he's walking batters. So I'm going to say seven is my concern. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Alex, I saw Reeves made, or the hit that Reeves made to get the suspension as minimal. Do you think that Graves should have gotten a game for his blind hit in that game as well? Yeah, so what they're referencing is Graves had a hit on Matias Janmark earlier in that game where Janmark made a pass in the corner and then kind of turned to look where the pass was going, and it was a blindside hit from Graves where he got his shoulder up in his head. Um, I, I know some people would say keep your head up and try to avoid that hit, but the NHL's trying to avoid headshots, and to me that was a very similar hit that Mark Stone had on Tyler Bozak at center ice. Anytime someone's raising their shoulder to go to the head to somebody, I think it deserves some type of suspension or fines. They won't because they haven't discussed it. And I think that was overshadowed by Ryan Reeves. It's kind of the same with the Robert Bortuzzo injury from Jost in Kadri's hit on Falk. If the Kadri and Falk thing doesn't happen, I think they're looking at the Bortuzzo Jost situation. So they're not talking graves because Ryan Reeves had a worse incident in that game. But yeah, I do think it should be suspendable. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Final one from the 618. Guys, I've looked up starters who the Cardinals could trade for. I can't find any other than Max Scherzer who makes sense for the Cardinals. Who are some names other than Max Scherzer? That could be of interest for the Cardinals. We'll answer this on the other side. I have a list of four names that make some sense for the Cardinals as guys that can help them get through the season because their depth right now and their pitching staff is a problem. We'll get to that and the latest on Miles Michaelis, which could be even more reason to trade for a starter. All coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Miles is going to get a second opinion on Wednesday with Dr. Andrews, and then we'll evaluate what that those findings look like. You know, clearly our hope is he reinforces what what our group has seen, but uh, rightfully he's getting a second opinion, and we'll know more at some point Wednesday or Thursday. That second opinion is in. We now know Michaelis will receive a stem cell injection to the part of his arm where treatment has been prescribed. He's out for at least four to six weeks. Then he's going to be reevaluated. That, if I do the math, is right before the trade deadline. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So Miles Michaelis is out until probably mid-July, at a minimum. That's when he's going to be reevaluated, Alex. And then you're not going to know until probably August whether or not he's going to be able to really help your big league club. My guess is the Cardinals are going to approach this as follows. Miles Michaelis is not in their plans for this year. And if he pitches, great. And he can help them in any way that he can. Maybe even that means coming back as a bullpen arm to be able to help them out of the pin for the rest of this year and then hopefully get back to starting in 2022. But I don't think you can expect anything out of Michaelis and anything he gives you is the cherry on top of the Sunday. So what does that mean for what the Cardinals do in the meantime? What does that What do they do to reinforce this rotation, reinforce the depth of the bullpen? I think it means a trade. 
I don't think they have internal options. We looked up the numbers earlier today, Alex, for Libertor and Thompson and Parsons. None of the guys down in AAA have done anything that would suggest, hey, this is the answer for what quells your rotation right now. Johan Oviedo is the best answer from the minor leagues, and that just hasn't been a great option for them either so Mm -hmm. far this year. Yeah, I mean, they're... Your guess on what their plan is is my plan. I mean, he's not a part of my team this season. And if he can pitch, awesome. It's the same with Jordan Hicks, in my opinion. You're not a part of my season. And if you are, that's a, hey, that's like getting a trade at the deadline, right? When you get those guys (laughs) back. That's stupid cliche saying. But without Miles Michaelis and now with the uncertainty of Jack Flaherty and really with the struggles of everyone on this roster, you got to go out there and get yourself a starter. You got to go out there and get a guy who isn't a four or five, you got to go get a guy who can be a two or a three for you. So I kind of come at this twofold. I'm with you on that part of things. I think you need a really high end starter. You need Max Scherzer, frankly, like that. That's the guy. If you're looking around major league baseball right now and you're saying to yourself, okay, who, who could come in for the Cardinals that immediately upgrades their rotation and slots in as that number two starter in a playoff series. It's Max Scherzer. The Cardinals are, or excuse me, the nationals are eight games under 500 They're probably going to be out of it, and eventually I think they're going to have to come to terms with the fact that Max is not going to be somebody that you want to keep past the deadline. That being said, they're not there yet, and it's going to be a minute before they get there. So you're probably going to have to wait another six weeks or so before Scherzer becomes available. Are you comfortable with what you have in the here and now in your rotation? My answer is no. No. I think you need to reinforce that rotation to move one of those guys to your pin to help you there as well. So I came up with a list of four guys, Alex Tanner. You got four guys. I got seven guys. Really? Yeah. As trade candidates. Yeah. Let's see how many of these we cross over with one another. Let's do it. I bet you I'm going to go down my list of the guys that I think are most likely to also be on your list. How's that? Let's do it. So I looked at the standings as kind of my guide. Who are the teams that are out of it already that would be willing to make an early deal with you? That means the Orioles, the Tigers, the Rangers, uh, the Pirates, but I don't think they're going to be trading with you in the Diamondbacks. Maybe Colorado as well, depending on if they'll answer the phone for you. Hmm. Those are the teams that I went to. The first one that stands out is John Means. Now, he has a ton of control left, and I don't think that the Orioles are going to trade him. He's in pre-arbitration right now, so he's super cheap, and he has five years left of club control. But he's been great. He's 28 years old. So far this year, he has a 2.1 ERA. He's averaging about six-plus innings per start. If you could go get John Means, he fits into that criteria as a number two, number three starter for you. Is he on your list? No, he's not on my list. Wow. Mostly because if I'm Baltimore, I'm not trading him. Because, I, I mean... I'm going to move on from big contracts. I'm going to move on from guys that can't help me in the next three to five years. So, no, he wasn't on my list. What about Matt Boyd, starter for the Detroit Tigers? He was on my list, too. He's not great. No, he's not great. He's 30 years old. He started 10 games so far this year. He's got a mid-threes ERA. He's making $6.5 million this year. Probably going to make around $7 million next year. He's got another year of club control after this. And not really worth it. Probably not. But that's the kind of pitcher that you're probably looking at. How about Kyle Gibson? Was he on your list? He was not on my list. $10 million this year, $7 million next year. He's on the IL right now. He's oh, got that's a, gro- a good spot to be to go get that guy. It's just a groin strain. It's not an arm issue. So that's Until a plus. Until he gets to the Cardinals, then it's just a matter of, hey, we're not really sure what's going on He's here. He's 33. He started 10 games. He's got a two, mid-2s ERA. He's been great so far this year for the uh, for the Texas Rangers. He's one of like two bright spots along with Adolis Garcia for yep. them. 
So Kyle Gibson is another name. And then the final one that I would throw in here is John Gray. Starter right now for the Colorado Rockies. Yep. $6 million. He's in the last year of his contract. I would be stunned if the Rockies don't trade him. There's no reason to keep him beyond this or beyond the trade deadline. 29. He is averaging about six innings per start. He's got a 370 RA on the season. Yeah. So John Gray is another one that I would throw in there. I have no idea what it's going to be like for him to throw outside of Coors. There's always that question mark, but he would be another one. That so, excuse worked well in Nolan Arenado, too. <laughs> Matt yeah, Boyd, Kyle Gibson. John Means, John Gray. Those are the four names that I could come up with that might be available now. Okay, you want mine? Let's hear it. So Boyd and Gray were on my list. Julio Tehran from Detroit's one. And he's only, I think he's totally started one game for Detroit right now, but it was a pretty damn good start. And this was a guy who I think was kind of making a comeback after his time with the Atlanta yeah. Braves. He'd be a good starter. Now, I, I he to me is kind of like a Carlos Martinez where it can go one way or the other. But if he regains the form that he had when he was in in, in Atlanta before his injuries, I mean, he was a dominant one-two punch with them. So Julio Tehran's one of them with the Detroit Tigers, and I think you could probably get him for next to nothing because he's a free agent after uh, this year. I think he's on the 60-day IL. He just pitched. Uh, it looks like on April, in April, he was put on this. Oh, oh maybe he just got off of the 60 day IL. We'll Never take mind. Him. He just got off the 60 we'll day IL. We'll take him. Put him on our team. <laughs> so he's one of them. Now, a lot of people are going to go, ooh, with this name, but uh, this is kind of like a, a rehab assignment for me. Aaron Sanchez from San Francisco. Starter previously with the Toronto. Because he's an unrestricted free agent after this year. And f- frankly, I think San Francisco would want more depth. But they're. They're in first place. Yeah, but he's a bullpen pitcher for him. Yeah, I don't think that. I, the, the first name that you brought up was better than this one. I'm telling you, it's a good one. Just he's keep an eye out for it. He's six games for him, and he he's had a, what, 3.2 ERA? Don't get I, rid of him. Don't <laughs> get rid of him. i very surprised right, if that one Next one is a lefty, Robbie Ray from the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, Toronto could make some type of a push because they're only, what, a game and a half back of the wild card? But if that dips off for them and they're out of a wild card race, then maybe they look at moving on from Robbie Ray. And I think you need a lefty in that rotation that's a little bit better than KK. This one, this one right here, boys, from the Minnesota Twins, Jose Barrios. See, he's only got one more year of arbitration. Minnesota is out of it. Now, this would take a haul. Yeah, this would be a massive trade. But this, in my opinion, is a one two punch for you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball so far this year. Uh, And for the majority of his career, he's been fantastic. Mm -hmm. He makes a lot of sense. I just think that the Twins are a team that's actually going for it. And I know that they've been bad so far this year. You remember, I think it was 2019. You may have heard about this team. It was called the Washington Nationals. I don't remember that at all. They, They did not get off to a good start that season. And eventually they were able to make it up because they had so much depth and so much um, talent. They had a great end of the season. They won the World Series that year, boys. If there's any team in baseball that could be that this year, I would say it was probably the Minnesota Twins because of the talent that they have on that roster. So if it's not by the trade deadline, I I think he's going to be and He's going to be one that I think would be tough because it's going to be a full on competition. But for me, the final diagnosis of this is the fact that Max Scherzer is your best option. Yeah, it really is. Uh, because nobody else matches what Max Scherzer can provide you that won't cost you an arm and a leg to get him. Because John Means, because of the term that he has on his deal, because of how many years he's going to be expected to be with the um, Baltimore Orioles, I don't think they're going to no. trade him. I, I would be very surprised if he's available. And so the names that you're looking at are Matt Boyd, Kyle Gibson, John Gray, Julio Teheran, and maybe Robbie Ray. 
I think Robbie Ray is probably the best of that bunch. And, I mean, is he getting you super excited? No. Probably not. We're talking about number four starters. Like, these are guys that you're hoping get you With through six innings consistently. With being a three. Yeah. That you you would be hoping to replace Miles Michaelis with these guys. You're not upgrading your rotation in any, any significant no. way. The only guy that is probably available at some point before the deadline that does that is Max Scherzer. Yep. So when we have these conversations and you keep hearing that name, that's why. That's why we keep coming back to Scherzer as the name that makes the most sense for the Cardinals. Yep. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of in or out, including in or out. My tinfoil theory was just confirmed by what I saw Derek Gould say over the weekend. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Is the air comfort service tax line for in or out guys let's start with something that i think confirmed my tinfoil theory over the weekend Derek gould talked with the la times about albert pools of course in preparation of the dodgers versus the cardinal series and the dodgers beat rider asked gould hey you know did the cardinals have any interest internally in acquiring albert pools here's what Derek gould told them quote from an official standpoint, they felt the timing was off. I was told if it were August or September, though, they would have eagerly sought that reunion for a stretch run and a chance to give Pujols the coda in red that the Angels did not, end quote. Again, if it were August or September, they would have eagerly sought that reunion for a stretch run. In or out, boys, Derek Gould just confirmed what I said two weeks ago, that eventually Albert Pools is going to be a Cardinal. Just didn't happen in June. It'll happen closer to August or September. I'm out. I'm out. Because if you're Albert Pujols, yeah, you're getting the opportunities right now, but why would you opt out after they get healthy and you become a bench bat with the Dodgers to go to the Cardinals? Because I know the, the history and things like that. But if I'm Pujols, you want opportunity to hit home runs, which will probably get more of those than in St. Louis. And I want to win a championship. And like it or not, we just saw it on display last night. The Dodgers still are above the Cardinals. So I'd what? say I'm out because I and you were Mr. 98% here. And I hope I hope I'm wrong. But if I'm Pujols, I'm staying with the Dodgers until this season's over. Then I go to the Cardinals next year as the DH. I think I'm with you because I like I, I think he looks at this and says this might be my best chance to win a World Series this year. Sorry, Cardinals. The problem is, is I don't know if the Dodgers will keep him moving forward. He's going to have to produce. And so far, I think he's got, what, two home runs, if I'm not mistaken. That's he's okay, hit about as long as he doesn't get three more. Yeah, no kidding. I, I think he's going to have to do better than hit 200, and he's going to have to hit against some right-handed pitching. Those will be the deciding factors to see if the Dodgers keep him. Okay, so I'm doing some roster math right now. Oh, here we go. From the Dodgers, because they're going to keep two two catchers, so you're at two already. Lux, Muncie, Seager, Rios, Turner. Those five infielders are going to be a part of the team, so you're up to seven guaranteed spots on the roster. Bellinger, Betts, Pollock Taylor those four are going to be on the roster you're up to 11 you've got one maybe two more spots probably two more spots available 
for your roster. Aren't those your catchers? No, we've already gone through oh, the catchers. The You've Smith got two Rios. more spots that you could potentially have for Albert Pujols, right, Matt Beattie. You've got McKinstry, who we saw last night in the lineup for them. You went 0 for 3. That guy sucks. <laughs> uh, Yoshi. No, he's that's a Mario brother thing. <laughs> no, he, he's he's on their roster as well. He's been terrible for T-Bone them. So didn't maybe get he that ends reference. up not getting on their roster. the reference. I know who Yoshi is. <laughs> There's a couple other guys that could be of note that could push Albert off of the roster where it's not just that he's he's either the 26th man on the roster or he's going to be pushed off once they get healthy. I, I, I think regardless of the position, He's going to get a ring if he's with the Dodgers, if he's on the roster, if he's off the roster. And what did he say when he signed there? He's like, you know, I'm I'm happy taking on a role of kind of teaching some of the youth down the road here. So I, I don't know. I, like I said, I hope I eat crow because it'd be incredible to see him in the Cardinals in the final stretch of the season. But if I'm him, I want to I, I want another ring and the Dodgers might be my best bet. I'm, They're I'm definitely your best bet to get it. I just wonder if the Dodgers are going to be. What if he left the Dodgers and went to the Padres? <gasps> uh, Stop. Of those names that you said, I still think Pujols belongs on that ras- roster ahead of some of those. Yeah, I mean, the, the the other names, I think Pujols gets on the roster strictly because of name recognition. Maybe. And the other question, I guess, that would come into this is, does Pujols want to return to St. Louis? Did he kind of sign up knowing this is this is my tinfoil theory. The Dodgers need somebody for the here and now. And when it comes to being a bench bat, I would rather be a bench bat in St. Louis than in L.A. And that may be choosing coming home for the heartstrings as opposed to winning a ring. That may be what he decides in that moment. But I mean, Pujols has had a hell of a career. Amen. And if he just wants to have a send off this year and that's what he'd like to get out of what could be his final season in the bigs. Hey, man, more power to him, and I'd love to see it. So that's that's my tinfoil theory, and I'm sticking to it. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. Guys, over the weekend, there was a lot of reports that Julio Jones has talked with Russell Wilson, and the Seattle Seahawks have had conversations with the Falcons about a possible trade for Julio Jones. In or out, if the Seahawks did make that deal, Julio and DK Metcalf would be the best wide receiver duo in the NFL. If traded to Seattle, he and DK Metcalf would immediately become the best duo at receiver in the NFL. Uh, I mean, I'm in on this because I'm trying to think like he and DeAndre Hopkins would be incredible, but I still think DK Metcalf might be a little bit better. Um, You know, he with Devontae Adams would be incredible. Honestly, I think him and Devontae Adams would be better than him and Metcalf. Right. I, I mean, if if he's traded there based on the current duos that are around the league. Oh, I thought you meant Seahawks, like who he could go to. I should have been more clear. Yeah, that's no, on me. that is the best duo. That, that's the best duo. I mean, because who are the other duos that are incredible? You look at Cleveland with OBJ and Landry. But that one's never really clicked. Not the way you thought it yeah, would. Yeah, they were better sure. when OBJ was out, actually. I mean, what are the other duos? Minnesota, Thielen, and... Uh... Jefferson. Yeah, yeah that's Jefferson. a good one. I can remember his name. You go to Godwin and Mike Evans down in Tampa Bay. They're when, a very good one. When they're healthy, and yeah. this may be a bit of bias, Woods and Cup are usually pretty lethal. Yep. Godwin and Evans, though, I mean, they're the other. They're, they're when they're healthy, too. Because, I mean, there's games that Godwin goes invisible, and then there's games where he goes off. Yeah. Um, I, if, you're, if you're willing to go wide receiver and tight end, uh, the 49ers have pretty darn good duo yeah. with Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. Same Obviously with that, Kansas City that re- with yeah, that rebuilding team. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. I would say though that if you're looking at all of these, 
I mean, we're going through kind of trying to force the issue here. I think the answer would be the Seattle yeah. Seahawks yeah. if D- they added Julio Jones. DK and Julio has to be. Do you think they're even there now because they've got Lockett? They're up there. I would probably take Minnesota over them. That'd I be would take the only Tampa one. over them. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, Tampa too. Those would probably be my top two in the league right now. Gosh, I could go from top What about three? the Titans? If the Titans made the same deal, would they have the best wide receiver duo then with A.J. Brown and Julio? Would that immediately overtake the two that we just mentioned with Minnesota and Tampa Bay? I think so. Especially when Pretty you look wild. at the quarterback that's going with them, too, because, I mean, Tannehill is just straight completions. He's not, you know, the dangerous one. He's not the one that takes chances. He's just straight completions. And when you got two massive human beings like those two, yeah, I think that would be dominant. But that goes to show, because, again, I could do the same with Green Bay. If he goes to Green Bay, that's the best duo in the NFL. So, Anywhere he goes, it shows you the type of player that Julio Jones is. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out from the 618. In or out, guys. The Cubs, not the Cardinals, are the best team in the NL Central, and we've learned that now by June 1st. Well, according to the standings, they are by a half a game. Stunning. And I'd have to look at the Cubs' schedule because have the Cubs played the Dodgers and the Padres just played the Padres yesterday took and beat them. Three, they took two or three, didn't they? And that just goes to show you right there. If you're just going off a small sample size, Cardinals couldn't beat a depleted Padres team. They also, so they swept the Dodgers. They, they're just now playing the Padres for the first time. They, they won game one in that series. And, and they've been beat up so far this year. I was reading yet last night. They had the, I think they tied for the best record in May on the IL that were on their big league roster. And they swept yeah. the Mets earlier this season as well. So I they've been to say much it. better against quality opponents than the Cardinals. I hate to say it, but I'd be in on this. Because, I, I mean, frankly, they are better than the Cardinals right now. I think I'm going to stick with out for now. Just because I look at the lineup, I think your lineups are pretty similar. I am still going to take the Cardinals rotation over the Cubs rotation. I'm just not high on their pitching. Bullpen... It's probably a split between the two, but I think it's very—it's a lot closer than we thought heading into last month. So wait I'm going to say out for now. Just wait till the Cubs play the White Sox, and TLR will go out and make sure the umpires check whoever's pitching's hat to make sure that everything's okay. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line for in or out. Final one for you guys. And by the way, on the Cubs and Cards, I'm out for now. I, I think that the Cardinals are still the best team in the division. I think they're better all around than the Cubs are, but it's going to be. A little more difficult to make that case if the Cardinals can't start winning these games against quality opponents. And the the Jack Flaherty news is going to be the big thing here. If Flaherty's out for any extended period of time, that completely changes Mm -hmm. uh, the scenario here. In or out, Alex, this one just for you. After getting bounced in the first round once again, the Toronto Maple Leafs are ready to blow up their team and make wholesale changes. In or out? I'm out on this. Um, and Pierre Lebrun actually just put an article out. I read it during the commercial break on The Athletic talking to other executives about what Toronto does from here. And he's right. Like, look, as much as the Toronto Maple Leafs look at this roster and say we couldn't get it done, you're not moving on from Austin Matthews. And you're not moving on from Mitch Marner because these are guys that you're looking for in the draft, right? Like these are guys that you hope that you find in the draft. Um, defensively, they're not changing much because they have a really good core defense. Right now, the problem for Toronto is goaltending. Goaltending and depth because their fourth line players were Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza. So I'm out on this as much as I'd love to see it for the car or for the Blues to find a way to go in and maybe get a Mitch Marner or a William Nylander. 
I don't see them making those moves because those are guys that you're always looking for in the draft. So I'd say I'm out with this one on the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. The junk drawer is coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, I want to ask Alex if what he saw from Colorado the other night made him feel a little better about the way the Blues played against him. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. season wasn't great it didn't go as any of us would have hoped but now Colorado looks like they might just be full speed ahead going to the Stanley Cup they won game one against Vegas by a score of seven to one that top line that we talked so much about in the blue series Landis Gog McKinnon and Rantanen they combined for five goals in that game and eight points overall the Avs outshot the Knights 37 25 they finished with six power play opportunities in that game including a nine minute stretch in the third period in which they had a power play so there is some flukiness about what took place in the third period but at that point they were already up by so much it didn't much matter Alex, I wanted to ask you today, coming off of that game between Colorado and Vegas in game one, if Colorado makes quick work of the Golden Knights, does that change at all your the, the taste in your mouth going into the offseason about the St. Louis Blues? Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, look, anytime that you get, look, when you get beat 4 nothing in a series, like it, it's always bad. But if that team goes on to win the Stanley Cup and easily just runs away with it, it makes it that much more understandable if I'm the team that got swept by him in the first round. I mean, right now, Colorado looks untouchable. Like, in my opinion, there's not a team that can beat Colorado. If they get through Vegas, it it really seems like unless some crazy injury happens, they might just walk into the Stanley Cup final and maybe come away with it, depending on what happens with the Tampa series. But yeah, it eases the pain because when you lose and you say that you lost to the Stanley Cup champion, it's like, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. But I would caution people in that series to to not jump to conclusions and say Colorado is going to easily run away with that one. That one was such a weird game. Now, they were up for nothing before the yeah. Ryan Reeves incident came in where there was nine minute power play and the power play just ran away with it. But I didn't understand why they played Robin Leonard. Maybe it was to rest Marc-Andre Fleury, but Marc-Andre Fleury played seven of the eight games against Colorado and he had a winning record. So. I think this will be a little bit more closer of a series. But yeah, if Colorado wins this one, it makes you a a little bit easier of the tension with what happened. Yeah, I always want to lose to the eventual champion. Yeah. Like forget the sport, whatever it is. If if your favorite football team is in the NFL playoffs and you lose to the eventual Super Bowl champions, for me, that makes it feel a little better. It's the Cardinals losing to the Nationals in 2019. Absolutely. Now... (laughs) That one a little it, more ended up portending future failures in terms of the lineup. And so it, it kind of... Especially because the Blues and the Avalanche were closer of a... The games were closer than what that Nationals-Cardinals one was. Maybe, but the, the problem with that one was just like... The thing that you always feared would come to fruition in the postseason with the lineup, that was what got you beat. And yeah. so for the Blues, like a little different there, but there's some similarities for sure. The Blues, I just... I, I hope that... If the Avs end up going on and destroying Vegas in every game, I'm not sure that I expect that. But if they do, it makes me feel much better about, hey, maybe the Blues are a little closer to Vegas than we thought. And it's possible Colorado is just going to go on like a three-year run here where they're just clearly better than everybody else. Like the Blackhawks and like the Kings did. 
kind of like what I thought the Blues might. Yeah. Honestly. But the difference is Colorado's talent is young and cost controlled. And that's that's really where they differentiate themselves is they they basically tanked. They did the hockey equivalent to what we've seen so much from the Astros and the Cubs and the Royals and all of these teams over the years that have gone on to have these kind of three-year, four-year windows, right, where they had a, a bunch of winning and then they fall off again at the end of it. That's kind of what Colorado's in right now. They're in the beginning of that. Yeah, but, and all caps but here, this upcoming offseason is going to change that for them because Philip Grubauer has been a Vezina finalist. He's been named today, and he's going in unrestricted free agency. Kale McCarr is a restricted free agent. Those two guys right there, BK, those two guys could probably command somewhere between 11 and $13 million this upcoming offseason. Then you got to decide what to do with Gabriel Landeskog. And look, the depth of scoring is what's been helping this team find success. Now, yes, that top line's been incredible, but you have to have depth of scoring. Look at what they did in games three and four against the Blues. You're going to lose that with Brandon Sod. You might lose that with a couple of free agents. So it's cost-controlled now. But Colorado's about to enter the same phase that the Blues did, where they have that cup window open. Now, how do they manage it? That's where it's going to come down to if they can continue this success. It, there's definitely some of that, but if they are able to get Landeskog re-signed, and let's assume for a moment that they do, and they get it for whatever, $7 million per season, something like that, and they get it for four-plus years. Uh, if they are, and I would assume that they will, uh, going to be able to get their goalie situation under wraps with Grubauer. Okay, now the next thing that they want to do is Kale McCarr. He's got a restricted free agency tag. Once you get that done, now they've basically made their decisions that the Blues had to make. Mm -hmm. The Blues decided not to go with Alex Petrangelo. They decided not to bring back a guy like Pat Maroon. Seems like the Avs are kind of keeping things more in-house than the Blues decided to. The Blues kind of brought from the the outside, and some of those pieces have fit. Others haven't. The Avs are keeping things together, Mm -hmm. it appears. And if they decide to do that, that's where you could really get into that winning window that we talked so much about. Blues can still get there. They have a great offseason. They end up bringing in a couple of guys that surprise us. They could get right back into the thick of things. But Colorado's got a real chance here to be able to go on a special run. And they haven't even started this. Like They still got to get through the series, much less win a cup. Yeah. But it, it... it feels like that potentially is out there for him. Yeah, it comes down to having success with the depth and the younger players and hitting the lottery with some of these guys that get drafted in deeper rounds. Now, Colorado has done the tank method where they've gotten guys in the top five and a lot of guys in the top five, whereas the Blues, the last guy that they drafted in the top five was Alex Petrangelo. So it's a different strategy, which makes a lot of sense when you get teams like that, but money always talks, regardless if it's a flat cap or if the cap goes up in the NHL. Money always talks, and when a player has success and they win a cup, they want to get paid, like a Philip Grubauer, like a Kale McCarr, like a Gabriel Landeskog. You're only in, only in the NHL for so long. It's what we just witnessed with Alex Petrangelo. you got to make your money when you can, so that's where it gets really interesting for teams. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Alex, from the 314. Guys, the Blues, about three weeks ago, you were saying that you were hoping to play Colorado instead of Vegas, and now you're saying the Blues might be closer to Vegas than they are to Colorado. My change on thought in this is entirely based on what we saw from Colorado. I was wrong about the Avs. I thought that the Blues would be able to push them around. I thought they could dictate the style of game that they played in that series, and I was just wrong. I I thought that that would be the case, 
and the abs pushed back in a way that I had never seen from them, them in the playoffs before. And so why did I want Colorado instead of Vegas? I thought Vegas would be able to match up one for one with the blues and be more talented at the same style. I thought Colorado, the the blues could take the game to them. They didn't. They tried. And then the abs pushed back and the abs were just too talented to be able to, for the blues to make it up. Well, look, you weren't wrong though. I mean, we wanted the matchup against Colorado because look at the season series, the blues outshot Colorado or outscored Colorado at even strength. The power play was the biggest difference maker in that series. Where I was wrong is that I didn't know that it was going to be that much of a difference when they got fully healthy. And it was, and look, then that's, and that's what it came down to. They were healthy and people aren't going to like this, but it's true. Sometimes the luck is in favor of one team and puck luck was on Colorado side in that series and it might be on their side in this in this Vegas Golden Knights series I mean game three was a perfect example of the puck luck I mean remember those goals that just bounce off of Jordan Bennington right to a Colorado player it's what the Blues had in their cup run winning a Stanley Cup is about talent it's about effort and it's also about the hockey gods looking down on you a little bit and right now Colorado just seems like the golden goose of teams in the Stanley Cup championship run. Every champion has a little luck along the way. Of course. Whether it be the Cardinals, the Blues, and their series, we certainly know that there was a little bit of that. The same thing will happen to whoever win the, wins the Stanley and Cup. And injuries are the luck, too. I sure. mean, last year, Colorado could have made a deeper run, but they lost Philip Grubauer. You know, like, you got to have everything match up. The stars all have to align if you want to win a Stanley Cup. And right now, it's doing that for Colorado. So to, to kind of put all of this into a nutshell... That's why it doesn't sting as much being swept by Colorado because it's just, it just seems like it's their season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show. Dylan Carlson's best comparison is a former Cardinal, in my opinion. We'll talk about who that is coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll talk about Dylan Carlson's best comparison in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex Ferrario has a junk drawer for us today. Yeah, a personal one, boys. So I was at a wedding of a good buddy of mine, a college friend over the weekend. A beautiful wedding and congrats to, well, it was renewing their vows because they got married in a private session uh, during COVID. And then they renewed the vows a year later uh, to have a big party. But my junk drawer comes, and maybe this is just me being a a you-know-what. I I mean, I told my buddy this. I judge a book by its cover, and like in the five seconds of judging that book, I I don't even give it a chance to come back. I just like throw the book away and move on. And maybe that's just me being a you-know-what. But one of the groomsmen showed up late to the pictures. Were you a groomsman in this wedding? I was a groomsman okay. in the wedding, yeah. So one of the groomsmen... Were you the one late? No, I was not the one late. <laughs> Otherwise, I would not be complaining about myself, T-Bone. But good question. We're there, we're taking pictures, and the groomsman shows up late. And then when he shows up late, he's got the suit on, he's got the tie tied, but it's like loose tie. So it's like, you know, down by his, his collarbone, basically, and the top button's unbuttoned. And I'm thinking, okay, well, he's just, you know, he got dressed in a hurry and he was sure. rushing. So we got there. My man just walks into the picture looking like a slob and just stands there and smiles and doesn't fix his tie the entire night. The entire Somebody say anything night. to him? No, nobody said anything. 
Well, look, I didn't want to be the jerk. I didn't want to be the guy that's like, hey, why don't you fix your tie? Because then there's animosity the whole day. I'm the guy that's the a-hole and everyone's all angry with me. Wait, hold on. You didn't want to call him out at the wedding in front of how many people you're calling him out here on the radio and for thousands of people to hear. I'm very passive aggressive and I'm very behind closed doors. I like to talk about people. It's how I am. Just, you know, it's personalities, people. But like, how do you do that? Like, how do you show up looking like that at a wedding and then ruin the man's pictures? Yeah, that's so what should have happened. The, the groom's got to say something in that spot. Well, it's funny, though. He did. But it was like the side comment. It was the, uh, hey, you know, hey, make, you got to you got to tie that. Hey, at some yeah, point, like man? the side joke, like, hey, make sure everyone's kind of tightened up and looking good. And nobody did anything. And I'm like, really? Yeah, that you have to take the dude off to the side and be like, hey, man, yeah. I know it's a pain in the ass. I felt I, so bad. No, nobody wants to be wearing a full suit, tux, whatever, over the... Dude, I'm showing up to sh- in shorts to your wedding. Yeah, okay. No, you're not. Um, that won't be an issue with me. You'll have to take that up with Mrs. And yeah. she ain't going to let that's, you... That's how my wife was. My <laughs> wife was like, she walked down the aisle at the ceremony, and she was probably like eagle-eyeing, looking at every guy <laughs> saying, are these guys all, are you guys all ready to go, right? It's just, I was so frustrated. It's like, come on, man. Like, you got to have a little more respect for the wedding, right? 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 217. Guys, if the bride didn't say anything, it's a non-issue. She may not have said anything in the moment. I can guarantee you when they get those pitch- pictures back and they're paying God only knows how much money for those pictures. Yeah. She's going to be saying something. Oh, God, yeah. Ferrario's big time with pre and post now. He's a celebrity saying other people aren't fancy enough for him. No, Alex wears a suit. That's not true. You guys, you guys got to understand. Eventually, we're going to get cameras in here, and you'll be able to watch the show. Literally three times a week, Alex is wearing a suit. I there just, are days in the off-season when Alex like, hey, I just wanted to dress up today. I come look, in every day in a hoodie and jeans. You got to look good and feel good. You look good, feel good. And then this is the other one. Weak sauce by the other grooms and for not pulling the guy to the side. I think Here's that's the what problem, though. We didn't know each other, so it was kind of like a mix of guys. So the well, butt I definitely would have gone for it. Oh yeah, see, I just I can't do that because I'm a jerk. I, I don't I know, know who that loser is. I'm I, gonna go tell him to I fix don't his wanna, tie. I don't want to be the a hole the rest of the wear at wedding and ruin the groom or the um the groom's day. But he was a longtime friend of the groom's. There were a couple of guys who worked with them, and then it was me and my buddy who were college roommates with them. So like there was a mix of them all. But it's like I'm not gonna. I don't know this dude. I'm not gonna be the one to pull him aside and be like, "Hey, you look like a slob." So I figured I'll save it for Tuesday. I'll go on the air and I'll complain about him now. It's the <laughs> well, way to you do got it. it. Done. Somebody else makes a good point from the three one four guys. It should have been the photographer's job to call out the groomsman's tie. Oh, that's true. That, she did also. Oh, she did. She must have pulled him aside too, and he didn't fix it. Really? Yeah. So I it, I think this was on him. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this guy's just a class A tool. Yeah. I know nothing about the gentleman, but me neither. And I apologize if if you hate me now, but like I said, I like to do these things on the radio. Yeah, that's one of those things. You, whether it be the I think it's the groom the groom's got to go up and say something and I'm surprised he didn't because I mean maybe his wife is just far more understanding than mine and I I love Kara to death but no if something if something like Alex you can back me up on this if something like this took place at our wedding oh yeah she would kill me just to get to that guy Mm -hmm. yeah my my wife would she would would not my wife would have stopped the ceremony and just been like nah uh uh let's fix this yeah especially in the in the pictures. See, I don't think that's on the groom. I think that's on him. The groom has so much more to worry about. So does the bride. They're taking pictures. They're worried about the ceremony. They're worried about making sure everyone's there. I think that's on individuals that show up at your responsibility 
is to be a groomsman. Your responsibility sure. is to show up and do everything to make sure the day's perfect for the bride and the groom. The guy that's to blame for all of this is the, the individual who yeah. didn't correctly wear his tie and looked like a slob for the pictures. He's the one that gets all of the blame. Yeah. However, this is something that's easily correctable. Yeah. And if the groom, who was apparently the only guy that really knew him very well, if he would have just gone over to him and said, hey, listen, I know this sucks. I know you don't want to be taking a million pictures on a Saturday. I know you don't want to be wearing a tux right now, but can you just just tighten bu- button your yeah. shirt up, tighten the tie a little bit? There's just no do e- it for an hour. There's no easy way of saying that to somebody and not coming off like the a-hole. Yeah, but it's a wedding. I know, but there's like no easy if way. He, if he, if your groomsman gets mad at you for telling him while he's wearing the $150 tux that he's renting, I would imagine. I'm not I'm not worried about the groom being upset. I'm more worried about the groomsman becoming a problem and then the whole day being ruined. Tell him to bleep off. Like, well, then it's you get my it. wedding yeah. day. If, if you you're going to be a jerk, you can get out of here. If I was sauced like I'm sure T-Bone was at the time, then maybe that would have been easier to do. But, I, you know, sobriety doesn't work that way, I guess. All right. So over the weekend. Weekly. I was reading a story about Twitter, and you guys know they're doing these tip jar things. Were you reading the story on Twitter? About Twitter. But were you reading it on Twitter? No. Oh, that's ironic. So they have decided, they've got all these different things that they're trying out over on Twitter, and now something they're going to do is they're going to start labeling your tweets based on how wrong you are. So misinformation is a thing, and it's gotten a lot of publicity over the last few years for a number of reasons. I'm a little worried, guys. You know I am wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> and uh, if, they so start, if they start yeah, labeling tweets on just how wrong you are, there are apparently multiple different ways that they can label these things. So one says misleading. Um, another one says, let me see if I'm getting this correct, stay informed. And then the other one is get the latest. There's that one that says this guy's an idiot. Ignore this. <laughs> I think they're going to have to come up with a new one for my tweets. Like, hey, this guy's been wrong about everything. Don't continue reading this timeline. Yikes. How many followers do you think you lose? From this? Yeah. Oh, all of them. Oh, my God. All of them. All of them? Yeah. I mean, there's no there's no reason for anybody to who, follow Who me would be the this. worst out of the three of us? You think it would be BK? Well, I don't tweet that often, so yeah. Yeah, but when you do, they're bad. Are they, though? Yeah, he <laughs> says that we should put everybody into the circle yeah, of trust. and then you're the woo and the loose guy. Misleading. It's a lot of misleading things that you do. Oh, that one blocked and reported for spam worthy. No, no, not true at all. Circle of trust, nonstop tweets. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. Hey, why don't we put Tyler Webb in the circle of trust after this weekend? Hey, hey, one half of an inning. I'm not the nomination. It was one of you two. One half of the inning, and and T Bone's already texting us saying, "What about this guy for the circle of trust?" Look, man, I'm just trying to find a solution. There's no solution. You mistreat the circle. Everybody mistreats this. No, it's not true. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Tanner's been mentioning this all day long. We are about to learn a lot tonight about John Gant as an escape artist. If he can do it against this lineup, you can do it against anybody. But coming up next, Dylan Carlson. His best comparison is a former Cardinal. Is he already reaching those heights? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
Let it fly into the pool. Let it fly into the pool. Just to oh, the left of the pool. Missed. That's what I'm talking about. Let it rip. Let it fly. Go into the pool. Just missed. Dylan Carlson, the one thing that's been missing for him so far this season, going into the weekend, was the extra base hits. And in the last couple of games, he has a couple of home runs. He has three RBI. He's added that power element back into his game, seemingly. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I think there is one guy that immediately comes to mind every time for me that I'm watching Dylan Carlson. Jeremy Hazelbaker. No. John Jay. No. Although that's not a bad one. Lou Brock. No. Nah, that's probably too much. Too much. De- definitely not Lou. You went from like bottom to top <laughs> real quick. <laughs> yeah, that happened fast. Jeremy has my go. Lou Brock. The guy for me that immediately comes to mind is Carlos Beltran. That was my next guess. <laughs> Carlos Beltran was an all fields hitter who had a decent amount of power, had some speed to him, and was for 15 years, really, one of the better outfielders in the game. And for me, as I'm watching Dylan Carlson, the way he goes about it and the success that he's having at the plate and the way he is having that success, man, it reminds me so much of being a kid as a Royals fan in Kansas City and watching Carlos Beltrano's early 2000s teams. And then certainly Cardinals fans remember what it looked like watching Beltran in 2013 as a part of what was a very good Cardinals team. Do you guys see that comp as well? The one thing he doesn't have that Beltran had, especially early on, is the stolen bases. Beltron early in his career was a 30 to 40 steals guy. We've seen one stolen base in the first 90 games of Dylan Carlson's career. So it doesn't seem like he's going to add that element to his game just yet. But everything else for me kind of almost feels one for one. I think you just picked this because he wears the number three and Carlos Beltron wore the number three. And you're like, oh, well, this makes a lot of sense, right? Okay. Um, the only thing with Carlos Beltron is I don't know if he's a 30 home run hitter. That's the part that I that I just don't know if I can buy into with Dylan Carlson. I feel like his peak is maybe 25, maybe 20, but I like the extra base hit comps. Like, I like the doubles. I mean, he's always a triples threat when he gets a, an extra base hit because of how fast he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the presence, I think that's the part that gets me. The presence that Carlos Beltran always had as the switch hitter in the heart of that lineup for the Cardinals that's what I get with Dylan Carlson. But the home runs are the part that's hard for me to give him that comp because he just doesn't scream 30 home run hitter. But maybe, I mean, he's still young, so maybe he can get to that point. And for what it's worth, Beltran only did that a few times. The majority of his career, he was more of a 25 yeah, home 25, runs guy. And so maybe it's a little below that. Maybe it ends up being 20 for for Carlson. Like his great years are 25. His typical year is like that 18 to 22 range. That's in play for Carlson. Um, and... I don't think he's going to be a consistent 100 RBI guy the way that Carlos Beltran was, especially in the first decade or so of his career, just because of where he hits in the lineup. He's not a cleanup hitter. He's probably not going to get quite as many opportunities as Beltran did in those spots. But basically everything else, if you're looking for the professional at bats, if you're looking for the walk rate, uh, getting on base at a high clip, all, all of that is there. Everything that made Carlos Beltran such a unique player early in his career, that's what we're seeing out of Dylan Carlson right now as well. I mean, you go back to 2001 when Beltran really kind of hit the peak of his career and then started going from there. That season, he had 30 doubles, 25 home runs, and he had a 123 OPS plus. So he was 23% above league average. Look at what Carlson's on pace to do this year. 
it's pretty similar to that. And he's also at a 121 OPS plus so far this year. So just one for one, it's it's a little different in terms of the ages at that point in his career. That's probably the guy that I would go with. Here's kind of the follow-up question that I would have for you guys. If I told you right now you can press this button and Dylan Carlson is going to have Carlos Beltran's first 10 years of his career. Beltran ended up having a 20-year career. I don't know if you can expect that out of guys That's incredible. nowadays. But if I told you he was going to have Carlos Beltran's first 10 years of his career, which means an average of about 28 doubles, 25 homers, and a 117 OPS plus, so 17% above league average. Would you sign up for that today? Oh, my God, yeah. In a heartbeat. And, and I mean... That's a difference maker. That's exactly what he is. And I mean, you're talking the first 10 years of Carlos Beltran's career, rookie of the year, MVP candidate, all-star pretty much every single year in a subpar above average defender. I mean, Carlos Beltran was pretty awesome in his heyday with the um, Royals and with the Mets in center field. So yeah, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat because I think that's a massive difference. That's the guy that you were hoping Dylan Carlson became. Like, that's what you hoped when John Mozeliak made the reference of, oh, well, you know, on the same track record of Albert Pujols and you'd have to pry him from my cold, dead hands. That's what you were hoping for. So, yeah, I'd hit that button right now. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd hit the button, too. And and that, if he becomes that, then that's what the Cardinals are looking for in that third bat in terms of it. It's not going to be... It's not going to be an MV3, which we saw, which was all three of those guys had a ton of pop. Carlson will have some pop, not as much as one of those three guys did. But you basically have, I don't know if I want to call it the forming of the uh, MV3, but you have something kind of similar. You have two cornerstones in the infield that are going to be with you for the next four years that are going to be really good at the plate. You can count on them every day. And then you're going to have that with Dylan Carlson, too, as hitting as the two-hole hitter or maybe one day cleanup or hitting fifth depending on how you want to maneuver your lineup yeah i i think that i would sign up for this although i do think he might be even a little better than the first 10 years of of beltron's career and what i mean by that i want to be very clear here is relative to league average the league average in beltron's early years this is the middle of the steroid era so it was a little different right the guys that were hitting 50 60 home runs they were escalating things for the average player so much that when you were seeing 30 home runs per season out of Beltron that was like slightly above league average I think that if you're looking at the 117 OPS plus 15 20 percent above league average it's possible Carlson can be even better than that compared to the current average hitter he can be 30 percent above league average in today's game compared to what that was 20 years ago and so i i think that's at least in play we did get a text 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618 guys would you consider already buying out some of dylan carlson's arbitration years you guys there are you guys already to the point where you would want to buy out arbitration years from dylan carlson i would uh, because i think if you can get him cheap I mean, he's a mainstay in your batting order and in your lineup every single day. So I would do it, but I know Tanner hates giving years of uh, buying out to players. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't even played a full 162 games yet, so that's why I wouldn't do it. I'm just one of those where you have to prove it for multiple seasons because I've seen a flash in the pan, and I don't think Carlson's going to be that, but I've seen that before where we've seen a flash in the pan, and then you think about giving out the contract and then that guy never comes back to where he was when you did it. So that that's why I would hold back again. I don't think Carlson's going to be just a flash in the pan, but I would want to see more. What games. if he wins rookie of the year? No, I, I would want to see another year or two because 
after this year is when we're really going to start seeing adjustments from what Major League Baseball do across the board to Dylan Carlson. I would I would want to see one more year after this year. After next year, that's probably when I would start approaching him. I, I think after this season, the guy that I would want to probably go talk to is Tommy Edmond. I, I, if he continues doing what he's done for, for the majority of this year, next year is going to be his final year of pre-arbitration. At that point, yeah, okay, we'll talk to Tommy Edmond. And it would be that same point next year for Dylan Carlson. I want to see two full seasons of what he's doing right now. And if he's able to continue to sustain this, that's when I'm going to probably approach him about a potential contract extension. Um, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. 10, 10 for 100 right now. Would you guys sign up for that? No. 10 years, $100 million. Basically, that was the first Albert Pujols deal, wasn't it? Something similar to that? Something like that, yeah. I'd sign up for it. I think I might. I'd sign up for that (laughs) right now. If you're talking to do that right now. You're talking $10 million a year for this guy who could possibly be, I mean, a mainstay in your order every single night. Yeah, I'm signing up for that. Who says no? Cardinals or Carlson? Carlson Carlson says no. Carlson ain't doing that. Oh, God, yeah. Carlson definitely wouldn't sign up for that right now. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll talk to Brian Lawton about what he would do if he was in Doug Armstrong's chair. He's a former NHL player, agent, and general manager. So what should this offseason look like for the Blues? We'll ask Brian Lawton in about 15 minutes coming up next john gant has been an escape artist all season long can he continue doing that against the dodgers though talk about it next on 101 espn this is the bk and ferrario podcast now here's bk and ferrario so john gant has been spectacular in so many ways for the cardinals this year He's getting out of every situation. I really don't know how he does it. He has the fourth highest walk rate among starting pitchers that have thrown at least or at least 30 innings so far this year. He also has the sixth best ERA among starting pitchers that have thrown at least 30 innings this year. Those two shouldn't compute. They should not go together. In fact, if you look at like some of the other expected or fielding independent numbers, they suggest that John Gant should have an ERA closer to four. He has an ERA below two. That seems impossible. It's like spaghetti and milk. They just don't go together. Exactly what he said. He's the Chris Angel, the David Blaine, the Harry Houdini of starting pitchers right now. None of it makes any sense. It seems like it should be impossible. I'm still trying to compute the spaghetti and milk thing. Like You've never had that? T- oh, no. terrible combo. Hold on. Wait. We got to explore this a second. You have? Yeah, when I was younger, you know, you have your glass of milk with dinner, you got to eat or drink it, and yeah, you have spaghetti one night. things that, like, milk goes with, and, like, when hey. you see a, a like marinara yeah, like sauce, you don't say, oh, you know, it'd be great with us some milk oh, tonight. Well, hey, I'm not saying, I was like, you know what, milk sounds good. It was more of, Tanner, you got to have your milk because it's going to make your bones stronger. Well, I'd say I'll take water. Okay. Well, anyways, glad Yikes. we got that out of the way. The uh, John Gant's been spectacular in those situations, and nobody understands it, including the general manager of the Cardinals, Michael Gersh. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally confused as to how he keeps doing this, but thank goodness he does. It is. Uh, I almost feel like you know we should start every inning by like whispering in his ear that the bases are loaded. Just pretend the bases are loaded and pitch like that because he he has a knack for getting out of innings that. 
I'd be okay if we, you know, just went ahead and had some one, two, three innings mixed in. But uh, I guess at the end of the day, as long as there's no runs on the board, he's done his job and he's been doing a great job in terms of keeping the runs off the board and keeping us in games all season. You don't have to whisper in his ear that the bases are loaded. I mean, he gets the bases loaded. No, he gets the bases loaded. Just let him get the bases loaded and then he'll find a way out of it. Zach Davis is the only pitcher in baseball this year that has a worse strikeout to walk ratio than John Gant. He's the only one. Um, Tonight, that's going to change. If John Gant tries to pitch the same way tonight that he has for the majority of this season and he puts guys on consistently, he walks a bunch of dudes, you guys have seen it, the same stuff that he's done all year long, the Dodgers will make him pay. This is a lineup that takes as many walks as anybody in baseball. They get hit by pitches as often as any team in baseball. And when they get the pitch that they want to hit, they put an absolute crushing to it. Mm -hmm. So, Alex, this is a huge test for him tonight in my eyes. Because this is the type of team that we need to know, can John Gant actually do this against the best opponents? He's done it so far this year. Can he do it against this team? Yeah, I I don't disagree with you because this is the best of the opponents. But look at the last few teams he's pitched against. I mean, the Chicago White Sox, we can all agree, pretty damn good baseball team that gets a lot of runs scored. And he found a way to get through that without giving up any runs. Um, Milwaukee may not be the most offensive powerhouse team, but again, they're a team that finds ways to get done what they do. Here's the thing that I don't understand. So against Chicago, Cincinnati, and Philadelphia, three pretty good offenses, all things considered. He allowed a total of two earned runs. Two. I I mean, what about the Mets? (laughs) I I mean, what about the Mets? The whole thing with the Mets going into the season was, well, their offense is incredible. And he held them to one run. Their offense stinks this year. And I don't understand. I can't explain that one either. Well, part of it's their pitcher giving them like zero runs every single game. But look, this is going to be a massive test for John Gant. And I'm very intrigued by this. But I I can't go into this saying, well, you got to prove something to me. Because technically he's proved it in nine starts this season. Now, if you have a setback, okay, now let's readjust. Maybe you aren't the guy that is the best pitcher on this roster. But we just saw what the best guy on the roster did, and he gave up two runs through, what, five innings before Mm -hmm. he was pulled? If John Gant can go out there and give you a performance like Jack Flaherty, if not better, then I... I think a lot of people need to sit here and look at it and say, nope, John Gant's actually really good rather than this Harry Houdini mishap that seems to take the mound every day and get out of it. I just, I I would like to see what it looks like against this particular team. I know what he's done against the White Sox. I understand that he had a bunch of success against the Reds, who, despite all of their shortcomings, have had a pretty good offense so far this year. I, I get all of that. But the Dodgers, to me, the Dodgers and the Padres, that's who you're really testing yourself against. Mm-hmm. That is the bar in Major League Baseball, especially for the Cardinals in the National League. Same way that for the Blues. Right now, the question is, how do you beat the Avs? Because that's the bar right now for the West Division this year, for the Central moving forward. They are the team that you need to find a way to compete with. And so for John Gant, can you do this against the best of the best? That means the Padres and the Dodgers. And you're going to be able to see it head-to-head tonight against a depleted Dodgers lineup. They are still not at 100%, but they do have Cody Bellinger in there now. Man, I... I am fascinated to see what it looks like with him. And one of the reasons why is because we've talked so much about the bullpen. It was an issue once again over this extended weekend. They were not good. And last night we saw Hennessy Cabrera add his name to the list of guys that really struggled. And Alex, this is something that I think is going a little under the radar with Cabrera in particular. The Cardinals need somebody that can be that fireman that we talked about before the year. Because Hennessy Cabrera has kind of inherited that role and he has not been good at it. He's allowed 10 of the 20 runners that he inherits to score. 
Tyler Webb, 10 out of 20 inherited runners have scored. Jake Woodford, 8 out of 16. Cody Whitley's actually been the best of this group. Five out of the 11 runners that he has inherited have scored. Don't say anything, Tanner. He's not getting into the circle. The league average for these situations is 35%. The Cardinals, most of those guys are at least 50%, if not above it. They need to have somebody in situations with inherited runners that the traffic that's on the bases that John Gant is so good at, they need somebody to inherit that role. And John Gant, if he can't do it tonight against the Dodgers, I would love to see the Cardinals go out and acquire a pitcher that pushes Gant out of the rotation. And then he, instead of Cabrera, instead of Webb, Woodford, any of those guys, he's now the guy that's coming in in the fifth or sixth inning, gets you through a couple of innings there, especially whenever you're in that traffic jam in the fifth or sixth. Yeah, and I think that's good. But on the flip side of that, if he goes out there and deals against the Dodgers and finds a way to continue with what he's been doing, I still think you got to go out there and find yourself a legit starter. But I'm putting somebody else in the bullpen. I was about to say, so if he does well tonight, can he convince you that he deserves to stay in the rotation? Yeah. If even after, let's say he does what he's been most of the year. He gives you five and a third, six innings at the most, and he gives up five hits, four walks, gives up one or two earned runs. He's in my rotation. He's in my rotation because you know what? He's better than KK. Have you seen enough of KK in your, yeah, in your starting I'm, rotation I, yeah, at this point? I, I, I think KK was the one-year wonder, and I think KK is now kind of a fifth-guy fringe bullpen pitcher. And, and maybe I'm wrong there, but I'm seeing the same problems with KK that we're seeing with Gant. The only difference is Gant gets out of them. KK <laughs> gets a guy on base, and then all hell breaks loose, and we're getting runs scored. KK, or Gant's not doing that, so yeah. I'm on the side now of of Gant is in your rotation because he's giving you chances to win, regardless if it's ugly or if it's pretty. KK's putting you in a position where you're behind early, and I think that's the difference for me. I'm with you. I'm at the point now where KK's a five, and then when everything goes right, he probably slides to the pen. And the reason I say that is because he's been so good the first time through the order, so that would qualify as a bullpen guy. And if you look at his numbers against lefties, lefties aren't playing that well against him his numbers against lefties they're hitting 229 against him so I would look at that and say maybe if I had to I could mix and match get him a couple lefties one time through the lineup maybe like with the Dodgers let's say Bellinger's there uh Muncy's a lefty too right he's not a switchy so like if they had two lefties of three coming up maybe I'd go to KK out of the pin makes some sense um that the problem is you can't do it now you can't do it now until you add another starter. Yeah, You've you got to go out there, especially if Jack Flaherty's out for any extended period of time. This this team's just, it, it's the Blues thing, right? Just when you think that they're going to start getting healthy again, yeah. there's another guy that ends up getting hurt. Right. We saw it with, they get the they get all of their outfield mix back for four games, and then boom, you have a, another injury, and now DeYoung's out, and Bader's out, and we'll see on, on Flaherty as well. It's just, it's been a frustrating year for them with the health. Michaelis, we thought he was coming back, and now he's back on the IL again. I'll say this about Gant. If he if he has a poor performance tonight against the Dodgers, it doesn't change my mind. Really? Because, I mean, we're expecting him to be great against one of the best teams in baseball right now. That's, that's, a, that's a tough measuring stick for a guy who came into the season as your fringe fifth starter, who's overperformed expectations this season. So, I mean... If he if he struggles for me tonight, I want to see him 
rebound before I sit here and say we got a problem with John Gant. I don't expect him to be great, but I think a quality start is in order. I think if he gives you what six or, or sorry, sorry, five and <laughs> five just, I think a no hitter is important against the Dodgers for Gant tonight. But if he can give me five and not give up about three or three or less, then I I think I would take that from Gant. But if he gets hit around and he gives up, I don't know, let's say five and three innings, then it's just to me it's one of those. And especially if the walks are high and the hits are high, it's to me it's one of those of all right. This is what was coming. Now is this going to continue to roll downhill again, from again, here? It's, it's against the best team in baseball. There's right? that, and there's the timing. Like okay, so I'm with you, Tanner. In theory. Yes, this is what was eventually going to happen. Whether it's the best team in baseball or not, this was going to happen because what he's doing is not sustainable. It's it's really not. Even the Cardinals would tell you the same thing. So now what? Okay, it, it happened place against the Dodgers. Now you're replacing with him with Johan Oviedo? Like, no, we've seen the Johan Oviedo experience. It's not a whole lot better than the John Gann experience. In fact, it's worse. So until they decide to make a move for another starter, there's nobody in AAA knocking on the door I don't think there's a whole lot you can do about it, unfortunately. So they need John Gant to go out there tonight and prove to them, hey, I can do this even against the best of the best. Yeah. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Brian Lawton is a former NHL player, agent, and general manager. He's been in those rooms for the biggest decisions in the big-time off-seasons. What kind of aggressiveness does he expect out of Doug Armstrong to fix what is currently the problem for the Blues? We'll ask Brian Lawton that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Always enjoy having the pleasure of speaking with Brian Lawton. He's a former NHL player, agent, GM. He's currently an NHL network analyst, and he joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Brian, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. I always appreciate that. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So let's start with what was the most recent news for Blues fans, which is I mean, the Avalanche just taking it to the Vegas Golden Knights over the weekend. Uh, Brian, how, how surprising was it for you to see that 7-1 to result? And when, when you see something like that, does it make you wonder if maybe this is just the Avs year as well? Well, it certainly does. They've been that dominant. Obviously, the Blues got a full complement or taste of it in round one. I will say in Vegas's defense for that first game, I did feel like they were a little bit out of gas. Uh, just the fact that they went with Robin Lehner instead of Marc-Andre Fleury was a little bit of a tell that that's how the coaching staff felt. I do feel Vegas will play much better, but that's yet to be determined. We will see tomorrow night how they do, because uh, what you're saying about Colorado is not that far off. They look like the team to beat right now. Vegas obviously tied them in total points, but... um, didn't look close in the first one, that's for sure. With that being said, Brian, how far off do you feel the Blues are from competing with Colorado and Vegas? I mean, are they like night and day difference, or do you feel like it's closer than what people are giving them credit for? I think it's closer than what people are giving them credit for. I really do. Uh, when I look at St. Louis, you know, they've made some changes on their back end, obviously, with guys that have gone on and signed with other teams or been injured. Um you know, it's changed the style of play that they play a little bit. I think that Doug Armstrong will work diligently this summer to maybe try to get back to that style that they won the Stanley Cup with, maybe a little bit heavier, 
maybe a little bit hardier players on the back end. I like their forward group. Um, you know, I just think that all these teams are closer than than anyone knows. Look at a team like Ottawa this year. Yeah. Everybody left them for dead, and you know they're a team that's coming, and they're a team that, quite frankly, surprised a lot of people because everybody's closer than you think. Brian, you mentioned the defense core that the Blues have right now and trying to get back to that that stronger defense that they, they've been known for over the years. Is there anybody out there, whether it be via free agency or trade, that you can see that's like, wow, that, that'd be a great fit in St. Louis? I know my partner Alex has brought up Jamie Alexiak's name a number of times as potentially a good fit here in St. Louis. Is, is there anybody that comes to mind for you? Jamie's certainly a guy like that, a guy like Matt Dumba. You know, you'd be looking at teams that maybe just can't protect some of their good players if maybe you felt like you could, which I do believe St. Louis could. Uh, But really the top guy on the market right now, bar none, without question, that would change a lot of teams' fortunes, including the St. Louis Blues, is Seth Jones. What's the possibility with that, Brian? Because I saw that earlier today that that he said that you know he wants to test free agency. And I mean, this is a guy who's a top three pick in the NHL draft, a difference maker, a number one defenseman. Uh, is where are the potential landing spots for a Seth Jones? And do you think that could be something Doug Armstrong does pull off? I don't know if it's something he'll be able to pull off because of the assets that they have that Columbus would probably want back. But I believe it's something that Doug will certainly investigate doug is uh, so diligent on everything he does in his role he does an excellent job and uh he'll take a hard look at it i'm sure i'm not sure he'll come up with the answer he wants in the end but you could rest assured that uh, he'll put the work in to figure out if it's a possibility we're talking to brian lott and he's a former nhl player agent and general manager joining us here on 101 espn uh, brian i did want to ask you about one of the blues potential free agents for this offseason and that's Jaden schwartz he he was unbelievable in that 2019 run to the cup in the postseason for the blues but there has been some inconsistency especially in terms of his goal scoring and the injuries have really started to pile up for him when you look at his outlook for this offseason as an unrestricted free agent, what do you think his market's going to be like? Well, I don't think anybody's going to hit the home runs that they'd like to. I think that we saw that last year, even the Blues signing a guy like Mike Hoffman, who's a pretty accomplished player. But, uh, you know, the market just wasn't there. A lot of teams are up against the tap cap. That makes it more challenging. There's still uncertainty, although people are starting to feel really good about the future of hockey again in terms of fans being back in the building. We're seeing that really increase, you know, not, not necessarily week to week anymore. Now it's day to day in these playoffs, and that'll make people more optimistic. Um, but for a guy like Jaden Swartz, if you had asked me, certainly coming off the Stanley Cup uh, playoff run he had, I'd say he'd been in the mid to high sixes. If you asked me now, I'd say he'd be in the mid to low fives, best case scenario shorter-term deal than he would have liked and probably below five, to be honest with you, when you really dissect who could make a move like that for their team. You know, Brian, with his struggles this season and, frankly, last season for Jaden Schwartz, it really puts Doug Armstrong in an interesting situation because, of course, he's an unrestricted free agent. Mike Hoffman's an unrestricted free agent. And the Blues desperately need more scoring in the top six to play with O'Reilly and Perron. What do you think this offseason looks like for Doug Armstrong? Because he's talked about the five-year cup window back when they won the Stanley Cup. And to keep that open, it seems like they're going to need a big offseason. 
Yeah, I, I do think that's true. Obviously, we're going to get back to the regular divisions next year, and that's going to entail a team like Chicago right in your backyard, so it's hard to look past that. But I, because of what has happened, not just this year, but the last couple of years, um, and it's really happened to a lot of the teams that have won the Stanley Cup recently. Pittsburgh, they've won one round, I believe, since they won their two back-to-back Cups. Uh, the Washington Capitals have won three of 15 games since they won their Stanley yeah. Cup. And St. Louis, of course, is in that mix as well. So it's interesting as to how much time, energy, and assets go into getting just to the final, never mind winning. But uh, I think everything, and I mean everything, would be on the table this summer for Doug Armstrong. I don't think there's a definitive plan where he's definitely going to get, say, Ryan Nugent Hopkins or somebody like that. I think he's going to look at his roster. He's going to do a deep dive. And even a guy like Tarasenko, uh, I think there's a possibility that uh, virtually every player on their roster could be moved out if the right deal is there in front of Doug Armstrong. And I think Doug is very good at really ferreting out what that deal might be. I wanted to ask you about Vladimir Tarasenko. As you can imagine, he's been uh, the talk of the offseason to start things out for the Blues. What do you think his value is around the league? Like if the Blues decided to make him available, whether that be via the expansion draft for Seattle, they decided to unprotect him there or just traded him elsewhere. What's the appetite for two years, seven and a half million dollars per year for Vladimir Tarasenko? Well, yeah, and I think it's more complicated than that. I think one of those years is like nine and a half or something. I'm doing this by memory. I did not look it up. I apologize, but. I have a pretty good memory for what everybody's (laughs) making when they get paid. So in any event, um, you know, a lot will depend on how the expansion draft is handled. If, you know, like for me, when you get in a situation like that, and if you're not a hundred percent certain of the return you're getting on your cap hit and dollars spent. And even if you lose a guy like that in the expansion draft, I could see that being a realistic path, not just for the St. Louis Blues, but for other teams. You'd love to trade them first. You'd investigate that. But if you can't, just to get that cap hit off your books, to get the money to maybe reconstruct your team the way you believe it should be, is a worthwhile exercise to go through. But if you go that route and you don't protect him, then you definitely are reducing your chances to trade him over the summer. You can always come back next year at the trade deadline and what have you, and take another shot at it. But uh, that will hurt your value in the open market this summer. Brian, final one from me. A lot of people in St. Louis are, are talking about the possibility of Gabriel Landeskog and the interest, I guess, that it would be if Colorado isn't able to afford him. Uh, I'm just because for how successful that team is right now, and it does seem like that's a group of guys that would be willing to take pay cuts for how wide open that cup window is. But we just saw something similar to that with Alex Petrangelo this past offseason. Is there any possibility in your mind where you see Landeskog becoming an actual free agent? I do think there's a possibility where that happens. Um, He's had a monster year. I think there's going to be a little disenchantment with what his offers are in terms of from the club. So I do think that's a possibility. And what do you think the fit would be like here in St. Louis if he did become a general or did become an unrestricted free agent? I think he would be a perfect fit there. Personally, um, 
you know, I think that there's a lot of teams that would be saying that right now, and that'll be a very, very crowded market space because I do talk to a lot of different teams, and I can tell you there's a lot of teams that are watching that one extremely closely, wishing, hoping that he makes it to unrestricted free agency. Brian, if you were in Doug Armstrong's shoes, I, I want to put you in his general manager chair for a moment. If you decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to start out going big game hum- hunting, and I'm going to see what's available out there for me to make that big-time upgrade for the Blues, who are some guys that you'd be calling on this offseason? Well, Seth Jones is the is the guy that could change most teams' fortunes the most, in my opinion, but that's not a free agent hunting. That's a trade. It's okay. Doug Armstrong's proven in the past that he can do that as effectively as anybody in this league. We saw that with the O'Reilly trade and many others, to be fair to Doug. Um, But there'll be a significant loss of assets if you go the trade market versus unrestricted free agency. You'd always love to be able to do it that way if you could. Um, There will be opportunity this summer. But there's a whole host of other guys that I think can can really be impactful players. It could be a guy like Marcus Johansson. Just guys that can play that you can win with. The guy that St. Louis faced off against in their run to the Stanley Cup, who was in Boston at the time and, and played incredible. So there, there's a ton of guys like that. This is where your pro scouting really, this is where the rubber really meets the road. You've got to be spot on in that. It's dicey business at best. Everybody's trying to do the same thing. But if you're fortunate, you do your right, you do the proper amount of homework, and you still get a little lucky the Blues could improve themselves that way as well. Brian, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy the rest of these NHL playoffs, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Brian Lawton, former NHL player, agent, and general manager, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, you mentioned a name there that I would imagine a decent number of the listeners right now are probably like, wow, okay, didn't didn't even think about that as a possibility. Seth Jones... He's making about $5.5 million. He has one year remaining on his contract. He's a big guy. He's 205 pounds, 6'4". What do you think about him as a potential fit here in St. Louis? I mean, it would be incredible. Like, he matches everything that the Blues need, but I just don't see it happening because, one, Columbus is going to want an overhaul because this is a difference maker, and they're gonna, they want to compete now. Uh, and, two, how are you going to make that work? Because, I mean, Seth Jones is – He's already told Columbus he's not signing a contract extension. He wants to test free agent market. And, and this is a right-handed shot. And this is a number one defenseman. And by the way, he becomes a free agent the same year Colton Pareko becomes a free agent. And there's going to be, I think, a, a one-year difference. The Blues have done this before. Do they go a different <laughs> route? Yeah, but, I mean, that's a lot of money you're going to have tied up yeah. in defense where right now what was the biggest issue in that series against Colorado? It was finding a way to score goals rather than block goals. So It's an interesting possibility. Um, he. He doesn't do a ton offensively, if you just look at the numbers over the last few years. He's a good player. He's a big player, which I certainly you know. I'm I'm looking for guys like that that can come in I and help he, you on the defensive I side. I think he's Colton Pareko. That's what I think. Is he better than Colton Pareko? He's healthier. Definitely healthier. I, I think that's to be determined. I mean, he's a former first, second round, second overall pick for Number Nashville. Four. Yeah, so I mean, he's a top guy. But, I mean, I think that's still up in the air to be determined because what does Seth Jones have that or what is Pareko that Seth Jones does, and that's Stanley Cup. Yeah. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
with the fast lane with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. We've got Brad Thompson in studio back from Disney World. What's going on, oh, man? Oh, baby. What was the clap? Was it was that like I miss one week and then several days during no, every week? No, it's that you survived Disney World. <laughs> yeah. Several days during every other week. <laughs> Pretty much right now. Oh, good to be back, boys. Good to have you. Are you exhausted after yes. spending a week at Disney? Yes. Doesn't like, even feel like, like vacation. You need vacation from vacations. Yep. Wait, it was a blast though. The kids had fun. We got lots of great pictures. Uh, we were. I was telling you about a uh, a lunch that we went to at the castle. It was called like Be Our Guest, where mm-hmm. you're in the Beast's castle. So my daughter thought that was really cool, and I uh, thought it was really expensive. But <laughs> it was uh, it was a blast. It was fun. It was something that we were supposed to do last year, and I'm sure everybody listening had plans that were yep. shattered by last year. So we we were able to yep. do the we Disney were supposed trip to. Do it this year, and we decided not to because really we're going for my nieces because they're five and four, right at that prime age. But because the characters weren't available and things have changed and it's a little bit more restricted, we said, Well, let's wait till next year and see if it works out. I feel like we hit the sweet spot when we went to because we had some friends that went two weeks ago, and in the park was full masks all the time. It's hot, man. It was like 95, 96 while we were there. We had it where it was only on the rides, or if you're in a line or inside somewhere, so it was a little bit easier. And the capacity was still down, so it ended up working out pretty well. It wasn't overwhelming. It was fun. Like I said, the kids had a freaking blast. They're at a good age for it, too. My kids are eight and five, so it was good, man. It was something that we had the whole family, too. We had a big crew. We had 13 of us total. Oh, my God. So, yeah, we were rolling. That's how deep. you don't lose kids at Disney World. You yeah. make a, bring a big group. Do you think that helps? Or yeah, do you a lot think of that... eyes, right? A lot of eyes yeah, on all the kids. Yeah, but I feel like kids. none of the eyes were probably looking in the right direction. <laughs> like, we just lucked out. The eyes on the dads were looking for a bench to sit down and some food to get. Were that was able... the one thing about the, the expensive lunch, by the way. At Magic Kingdom, you can get booze in that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. great. Oh, uh, were you see. able to, speaking of booze, do a adult day at Epcot? It wasn't an adult day, oh. but I sure did stop in Germany for a while. <laughs> so I was like, why do you like it here so much? I'm like, I don't know, buddy. Maybe it's those huge pretzels. <laughs> they they lost up. BT. You're trying not to lose kids in Disney World, and they lose BT. Once you hit Epcot, well, here's the good thing about the, the the crew that I went with. It was like the the in laws, that side of the family. Everybody enjoyed the stop at Germany, so we hung out there. And then the kids got gelatos in Italy. You know, we oh, were good we to go. go. Everybody was happy. The best Epcot part was cool. about that was the first time I had been there. It's great. The best part about Disney World is that it like a place like Epcot, for example, it's got everything for every age. Mm-hmm. So if you want to make your trip. You drink around the world, you can do that. If you want to make the trip something for the little ones, you can do that as well. It's it's all up to you. You can It's a choose-your-own-adventure at Disney World, it basically. Is. It is. All the rides are a blast. BT, what's coming up today on the Fast well, Time? We'll moment? talk about the merry-go-round ride. That's <laughs> the right. Cardinals pitching staff <laughs> when the bases are loaded. Now we'll get into a little bit of everything, man. The Cardinals, uh, uh, Jamie's going to retool the blues for me. Awesome. Because uh, I, I came in today, you know, a little bit aloof, and I said, hey, dude, when are the blues playing? And he said, oh, blank you. Jerk and, move. Uh, so he's going to tell us uh, how they're going going to be playing at this time next year. Well, not this time, but you know what I mean. Uh, so he'll break that down. Oh, Stanley we'll Cup final, baseball. that's right. No Anthony Stalter today, so the inmates uh, oh, are my God. the asylum today, so it'll be great. Oh, that could be oh, dangerous. Be I can't wait to I'm looking to forward one. to it. It'll it's coming special. up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.